welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I'm Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening, David. Yes. How you doing? I'm good. I'm back from Comic-Con. That's right. I don't miss it. Oh, interesting. I had a good time. Yeah. But I find that as I, this is my 11th Comic-Con, as I get older, um, it used to be like I would get that Sunday, like depression. Sure. Like, oh man, Comic-Con's over. But now it's like Sunday morning, it's like, all right, anything, any last minute things I got to do? And then I'm out of here. <laughs> like I got my fill. I, this, okay, so right before we were recording, we were talking about grown-up discussions Uh and grown-up impulses, and this might be the first year that I was not necessarily eager to leave Comic-Con, but I was fine with leaving. In the past, it's like, oh, I want to go on forever, Uh, but this time, it's like, I got stuff to do, and I thought, oh, no, I'm leaving Comic, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with leaving Comic-Con because to me, checking stuff off my list of shit I'm not interested in uh-huh. is more important to me. It bothered me so much. That's well, we'll talk more about Comic-Con later. Yeah. Uh, but first, I want to introduce our guest. Okay. He is uh, uh, formerly a writer for Battleship Pretension, now uh, a much more serious writer for a much more serious endeavor. Greener Pastures, David. Uh, <laughs> called Nerdist.com. It's uh, Kyle Anderson. Hi, guys. Back uh, only a month or so after yeah, your that's last right. appearance, yeah. Uh, when we talked about the LA Film Fest, indeed. indeed Today indeed. we're going to talk about uh, San Diego Comic Con International 2016. But before that, I wanted to ask you: you, uh, you had we've had quite a July. Yeah, it's Dude. gone already. Yeah, but yeah, because um, before you spent five days in San Diego. Yes, you spent five days. I'm guessing roughly about that mm-hmm. uh, in London for Star Wars Celebration. That's correct. Yeah, I did. It was. Uh, um, that was sort of a last minute thing. Okay. Uh, uh, one of our higher ups was going to go, uh, and then decided because of comic con that he'd better stay and plan stuff since we had a lot, uh, for going on for nerdist. So, uh, I was elected to go, which is fine by me cause I love London. It's my favorite city in the wide world. Um, but yeah, it was two cons right in a row. I yeah. had, I had exactly, uh, basically 30 hours uh-huh. from when I landed back in LA to when we left for, uh, for Comic-Con on the bus as a group, we all group bust down. So yeah. <laughs> what is that? You rented a bus? Yeah. Like we chartered a bus. Oh. That sounds fun. It, it is pretty fun. Yeah. Uh, on the way back, we had a bus, uh, not to skip all the way to the end of Comic-Con, but that had, uh, the air conditioning didn't work. Oh, and you, you know, the traffic on the way back yeah. to LA from San Diego oh. on Sundays. I, Encountered no traffic on the way back. What time did you leave? Now, I left right in the middle of the day. I took the 15 instead of going up the 5. This is what I was saying to the guy. I was <laughs> I've like, never tried it before, but I know there's always traffic. Oh, the 5 is a mess. It's an awful, yeah. awful mess. And so yeah. I took the 15, and I would say, like, it takes a little longer than the 5 would take normally. Yes. You know, maybe 20, maybe 30 minutes, but probably not even 30 yeah. minutes. Uh, but it was a... Now, I hope, hopefully, all of Comic-Con isn't listening to this podcast. Yeah. Next year, the 15 is going to be clogged. But the 15 was a breeze. Fellas, here's, my, here's what I do. <laughs> I like to leave at a ridiculous hour. Uh, so at this time, I left on Saturday, and I left at, I believe, 10 or 10.30 at night. And I got there. I got back home in an hour and 55 minutes. <laughs> wow. Very nice. Pretty good. Yeah. yeah. So all you uh, got to do is drive at a time that most people don't want to and everything's fine. 
Yeah, I guess that's true. And the, I find the 15 to be a much prettier drive, even though it does take a little bit longer because it's, you know, it's more inland and it's got uh, mountains and stuff you can look at. Yeah, you drive through Escondido, Temecula, and then up through like Azusa and down the 210 yeah. through Pasadena back into the all, valley, which is where all of us live. All those places Bugs Bunny used to say when we would <laughs> climb out of places. Uh, but we're not, we're, Comic-Con's for later. Yes, yeah. we'll talk about that in a minute. I want to know what uh, Star Wars Celebration was like. Star- did you go last year? I No, I've never been to Star Wars okay. Celebration. Um, I also didn't know that it changed cities every year. So I was just like, oh, did we're just going to Anaheim? No, it's in London. Okay. Um, it was, uh, I don't know if you, any of you guys have gone on like a press anything no. it's it's a studio the studios pay for it they it is for them to get press for their thing mm-hmm. so uh disney paid for a number of people to fly uh they put us up in a hotel they got us passes we got wristbands for all the big panels and everything like that um it's pretty great um but they do keep you very like you need to be here at this time and here at this time and mm. here at this time so um there was a great big um uh, you know, like a floor. It was actually two it was split across two sides of the convention hall with vendors and various things. Uh, the weirdest thing, cause you know, it's com- the comic con vendors, obviously there's everything you can buy everything there and there's yeah. different things to look at. This is very focused cause it's all star Wars. You may be able to find a few Marvel things because it's still Disney, Disney. Right. But like there was one guy selling t-shirts that had like a Batman t-shirt, but that was like it. That was all I saw. Everything else was very, very branded. How'd that guy sneak in there? I don't yeah. know. He was just like, oh, I got all these t-shirts here. And I don't think anyone bought a, no one's going to this place to buy a generic Batman t-shirt, yeah. but, um, it's, it's not yeah. like the guy, uh, and this is one of my favorite things to do when you go see a concert. It's at the Greek. Mm-hmm. You're walking back to your car. You've skipped the 25, 30, $35 t-shirts at the merch table. Yeah. And there's someone outside with a handful of knockoff yeah. cheap shirts with a logo they found on the internet and printed up for five bucks. That's what this guy sounds yeah. like. Yeah. I love getting those shirts. My, yeah. My, yeah. And often the, those knockoff shirts look better than the, yes. uh, yeah, the they're not, ones. uh, not too many bells and whistles. My, my wife got a, uh, uh, a delightful Rick Springfield shirt at the Rick Springfield show <laughs> for five bucks. Yeah. Uh, um, anyway, anyway, yeah. So, uh, there's three places to watch panels or there, there was at this thing. Um, there was, and they also had stuff like set up, like you could go check out the costumes from rogue one or something like that. Um, but they had three basically program tracks. There was the main stage, which, um, was basically hosted all day, every day by Warwick Davis, which is great. Hmm. Um, and he would come out every single time he had, they had a little tiny, like, uh, uh, late night talk show host desk set up for him. And he would come out on a, on a little, uh, uh, every time it was great. (laughs) And he would like ride around the auditorium. It was really fun. Um, and then they had like guest presenters for, for the bigger, some of the bigger panels. Um, and the, but then there was also like the behind the scenes stage where it was just people talking about the making of these movies and things like that. And then there was the, um, I forget what the other stage was called, but it was like, uh, more technical stuff. So like the bit, the big main stage was the one that you needed wristbands for. Otherwise it was very likely you were not going to get in. Um, and it was in there that we saw, uh, Mark Hamill, talking for which was really weird to watch just mark hamill talk for two hours or an hour i guess um we saw that was where the rogue one presentation was the first night and then the second day um 
uh, was a big Star Wars Rebels presentation where they sh- they like announced a ton of stuff and showed us the first two episodes of the next season, which is great because that show okay. is really good. Okay. Uh, and then on the final day, it was the Future Filmmakers panel, which was the big last one that they did, which they didn't. Uh, everything else was live streamed. You could watch everything else, but. Uh, this one wasn't. So we were like, Ooh, there's going to be some juicy stuff. And there was no juicy stuff, but mm-hmm. it, that was talking about episode eight and, uh, the Han Solo movie. Okay. So now is, are there audience Q and A's like at comic con? Uh, for some of them. Cause yeah, like the Mark Hamill one was basically just an audience Q and a, um, okay. there like of elsewhere. There was like, uh, an Anthony Daniels one. There was a, uh, Carrie Fisher did one the last day. There was like a Ray Park one. These were these were ones where people like came out and did stuff, and then was there was also a Q and A aspect. Uh, the big main ones, no Q and A, zero. That's Q&A. too bad because yeah. what I'm what I'm picturing, you know how at Comic Con, yes, you'll have a bunch of casts on the stage, and one of them will be involved in some other nerd property. Yes, and so the Q and A, all the questions will end up being about this. Like, yeah, Nathan Fillion's trying to promote Super or whatever, but everyone just wants to talk about Firefly. Yeah, I like to imagine at the Rogue One panel. People asking Riz Ahmed questions about the night of. Yeah. On HBO. <laughs> like, so did you do it? Wait, wait, was it you? Or what no? was it like working with Bill Camp? Um, these are the kind of questions I imagine uh, coming up at this uh, reverse nerd convention. Yeah. I was going um, to ask, like at the Mark panel, at the Mark Hamill uh, panel, uh, did anybody uh, come up and say, like, "Hey, what was like voicing Detective Mosley in Gabriel Knight's Sins of the Fathers?" And what do you think about the replacement voice for the 20th anniversary edition? Um, did uh, anybody ask that? I think that was the question. The next question oh. after, was like, "Oh shoot, we can <laughs> I heard someone go Gabriel, and then that was the end. Well, that's awesome. Um, yeah. Uh, where is Star Wars Celebration next year? Next year it's in Orlando. Okay, mm. so uh, very close to. Uh, Disney World. Right. Yeah, yeah. Where you, to, where you can still, you will still be able to ride Tower of Terror, unlike here at Disneyland. Where it's, yeah, yeah, it's been sacrificed it, since Mike Celestino was on and said that it was all rumors. It has been officially confirmed. It confirmed at Comic Con. Yeah, that was confirmed at Comic Con, which is so weird because uh, the last time I was at Disneyland. I was the very first time I ever rode the Tower of Terror because I'm afraid Same of heights. Here. Oh, that's and, not why. Uh, I'm afraid of falling more than heights. Sure, but. Um, but it's it's great. It's a super fun ride, and I'm upset. And we're going to need to go ride it a million more times. Yeah, but it's well, going. I guess it, the ride itself though, is going to be the same, right? Like the mechanism guess, of the ride but, is still going to be the up and down. But it's yeah, I think so. But I mean, that's not that's that's, not, that's only part of the fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I guess when people say they're afraid of heights, I think the implication is I'm especially afraid of heights because any rational person, to some extent, is sure. afraid of heights. Yeah, right? that's true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's kind of part of the fun for people like me, right? Is that there's a fear element. I guess so. I guess that's yeah. why anybody does any of those uh, thrill rides. Yeah, things. this is what we, we talked about with Mike Celestino a couple weeks ago about theme parks and why I like roller, co- roller coasters is because I want to, same reason I like horror movies. I want to be scared by them. You want yeah. to just court death. You yeah. And, yeah. You and Paul F. Tompkins disagree on that that's fact. That's right, yes. Oh, yeah, I was just, that's right. <laughs> yeah, just listening yeah, so to that album <laughs> on the drive back from Comic-Con. All right. Um, who's this episode brought to us by? Uh, hang on, let me look. Oh, it's brought to us by Mubi. Um, brought to us. Uh, okay. So, Mubi is a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $5.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. Exclusive, David. <laughs> 
Mubi is proud to present the online premiere of new restorations of four painstakingly animated wonders from the Brothers Quay, uh, include, uh, including The Comb and uh, Anamorphosis, um, and of course two more that uh, will be released probably by the time this episode goes up. Uh, these films and more can be found at Mubi.com right now, and there is a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com, that's M-U-B-I.com slash Battleship to redeem now. I'm actually very excited. I've been hearing ever since college about the Brothers Quay, mm-hmm. and uh, but I, I don't think I'd ever seen anything uh, by them. And uh, now I can see these uh, these lovingly restored right. films. And these are the brothers that Tom Hardy played? Uh, <laughs> yeah, the Quay brothers. <laughs> uh, Is there anything those guys couldn't do? <laughs> those guys are legendary. Uh, I also want to talk to you about tweakedaudio.com, which is where you go for, for uh, professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. Uh, they look great. They sound great. We use them each and every day. Uh, we're big supporters. Uh, and they're available at a low, low price over at tweakedaudio.com. But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, uh, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite clear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right. Let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. Let's go day by day, chronologically, what did we do at Comic-Con? All right. Um... Preview night. You weren't there. I wasn't there. I was there. I was there. I got a Hellboy in Hell Volume 2 hardcover. That was my main exclusive that I picked up. I was going to go to the Mondo booth. I tried to go to the Mondo booth more than once on preview night. The line, lines were insane. Yeah. But more on Mondo later. Um, did you pick up any? Did you walk the floor on preview night? I, I didn't walk the floor the entire time I was there. Really? Wow. Yeah. I was. Uh, we were. We had a, a our activation, which nobody knows what that word means. I'm found, but it's just a thing that we have set up was at uh, Petco park. Yeah. So that's where I was the whole time. Um, I, I did make it to one panel on uh, Friday, Saturday. Don't get ahead of us. I here. Know, I'm trying to remember what day it was. It was Friday night. Um, <laughs> I don't like this at all, but, <laughs> but that was it. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't, I went in to get my badge that I used one time. Yeah. That was all I did on Wednesday. You didn't have your badge mailed to you. No, for whatever reason, we couldn't have that happen for some reason. Hmm. I don't know oh, why they, we had to go pick them up live. Hmm. But unlike previous years, I will say last year, it took me two hours in line to just stand there and wait to go pick up my badge. This took like seven minutes tops. Yeah. Like it was great. Yeah, that's that's definitely good the, about the, the mailing. Thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The the floor. I mean, I've gotten to the point where I mean, the the exhibit hall floor is about shopping for me. Like I have a yeah. list, uh-huh. like here are the booth numbers, here are the things I want at those booths and I will go to them and I'll take a glance around maybe, but, and, and see, you know, usually like cartoon network has a big cool thing yeah. or whatever, you know, I like seeing that, but I don't spend too much time, which it used to be like, I would uh, spend at least one day every con yeah. like devoted mostly to, to the floor. And now it's just like, it doesn't change that much from year to year. Uh-huh. And so, 
yeah, I'll walk around and get the stuff I want. And if I do spend any time walking around there, around there it's going to be at Small Press or Artist Alley or something, yeah. you know, looking at the Small Press and the Artist Alley yeah. as opposed to just checking out the big uh, corporations or studios or whatever, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, so I, I spent fairly little time on the floor this year. It, I wish I, you know, I always like walking the floor because I just like seeing what, you know, what people have. But yeah, I'm with you. Like I always, you know, the smaller vendors or, or Artist Alley, I find uh, it's easier to get lost there um, than it is just like when you're just bombarded by you mean the Marvel setup and the DC setup are always so big um, that it's just like, and God forbid if there's a signing going on, like it ruins half the, half the floor. You can't, yeah, you can't get anywhere. Yeah. Um, But yeah, yeah. I would definitely like if I'm going to another place on the exhibit hall floor that I need to get to, I won't leave and go into the lobby and cross lobbies and come back in (laughs) because that's a lot faster. Yeah, a a lot faster cutting across the actual floor. So, uh, yeah, that's what we did on Wednesday, I guess. Yeah, I don't think I did anything else on Wednesday. I went to went to Bubs. You guys ever been to Bubs? No, it's just a little up the street up uh, up seventh from Petco. And, uh, they have, Oh, I tried to go to bubs, but it was so, they let, they let us in despite having no tables. Weird. It's very confusing. That's very strange. Very off putting. Well, the reason that they're so great is because they have all these different types of tater tots you can get. Oh, that sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Sound you good. can get like, uh, like different seasonings, different seasonings. It? You mm-hmm. can get, uh, you know, uh, your, your spinach artichoke tater tots. You can get your, um, your Buffalo chicken flavored, uh, tater tots. That, you know, so good. Um, I know you know that you both know this place. There's a place in Burbank called Tony's Darts Away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, love and, Tony's. Well, they part of the. Uh, I don't know if this is a trend nationwide or just a in a Los Angeles thing, but the 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 sort of secret menu type of thing. So yeah. Tony's has a bunch of different type of fries you can get, but even though it's not listed on the menu, you can sub tater tots for any of their fry oh, preparations. Oh you can have like tater tot poutine. Yes, um, very good, very good <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Uh, all right. So that's yeah. Wednesday. So Wednesday. Great. Cool. <laughs> we didn't do that on Wednesday. I um, drove down on Wednesday, uh-huh. uh, having gotten two hours of sleep the night before. And then I went to a doctor's appointment, a five hour class. And then, uh, and then I drove down checked and it was, the hotel and went to sleep, checked into the hotel and fell asleep at like 1030. My eyes popped open at 4am and I was up for three hours <laughs> and then I went back to sleep for a couple hours. It was a very strange night. Yeah. That sounds weird. That's so anti you also. I know. <laughs> I know. That's why I don't go to bed early. So what uh, what did we do on Thursday? The the first official day mm-hmm. of the convention. Uh, what was it? You spent all day at the activation at the all at the activation. Mostly what I did called uh, Camp Carnival. Camp Carnival, yes. Um, which were was very you know camp themed things people could do. But we also had a stage uh, where we were doing little fifteen minute interviews with people. There are so many mini cons. Mini cons. And yeah, because there's, there's you guys. There's yep. Nerd HQ, there's which Nerd has been HQ, around for yep. a while. Screen Junkies has a place. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah. There's also like, Comic Con now has their own mini con, the Comic Con HQ, right out front of the Hilton. Yep. And then there was the um, Entertainment Weekly's Con X, which yep. was a million miles away. Uh, but yeah, there, there's so many. There's mini conventions where people like the cast of the originals or whatever who had yep. a had a panel at Comic Con also have panels at other. Yeah, places. and we were running into issues because we were, um, you know it's all, it's all through PR people and, and, um, publicists and stuff like what gets set up when, but we were running into the problem was we would have our interviews before the official panels. Uh So they couldn't say anything, which was dumb, but like, you know, thank you for coming. But still it was like, I feel bad for these people who came to our thing 
Yeah. Um, and, and we're why, I mean, it was 15 minutes, so it wasn't like yeah. they had to sit for an hour and not get told anything, but it was still just like, uh, cool. They're, they're sort of hamstrung. And we were as interviewers sort of hamstrung in terms of what we could ask people. But what was your favorite interview? Well, I only did one. Okay. Uh, which was mystery science theater. That's right. That was on Saturday. That was on, I know you guys, Oh, Stick sorry. to the format. I'm yeah, I'm sorry. What I mostly did, <laughs> sorry, I was uh, myself and my coworker Matt were on new, the news beat. So uh, we had people doing panels and things like that. But for everything else, there was us two and our East Coast editor Michael uh, from New York from his cozy pad in New York. He didn't have to go anywhere, uh, and we just wrote up news all day. So news that came out of panels, I basically knew what was happening. Yeah, even uh, though I didn't go to any of the panels. Yeah. Uh, well, I think. Tyler and I spent um, most of Thursday in the same place, or at least the early Thursday. A good, par- a good portion of it, yeah. Um, which was starting off with the DreamWorks animation panel, where yeah. they uh, generously showed us almost 20 full minutes of Trolls. Yeah. They really um, want you to go see that movie. But I was running a little bit late, so I only caught like the last four minutes of that. Um, yeah, good for you. It, um, it doesn't look good. It looks like a real snooze. I made a joke today at work that in like 40 years, we're probably going to get a feature film about Funko pops because uh-huh. <laughs> it's the same. They're the same thing. Little things to put on your desk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think the best part of the trolls thing was that we all got troll wigs. Oh yeah. Which mine is still in that backpack there. Uh, unopened. Yeah. Mine's still in some bag somewhere. <laughs> um, yeah. Also unopened. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Justin Timberlake and Anna Kendrick, Anna Kendrick. I don't know. I always want to say Anna. It's Anna Kendrick. It's Anna Ferris and Anna Kendrick. Maybe that's why. Yeah. Um, they were there. I don't know that they were particularly, they couldn't juice up the crowd like, uh, like the big stars are supposed well, to. It's like the first panel of the day. That's always yeah. a problem. It's yeah. always, yeah, that's a tough one. That last Unless year, you're Warner brothers last year I was installed in hall H like basically the whole time. So, uh, after a while, it gets, I mean, even right away, like it gets boring in there. If like people, if the crowd, the thousands of people there aren't into what you're talking yeah. about, yeah. It, it feels like nobody's there. It's very strange. Yeah. And yeah. And, but the, the, there was, so the, the only thing announced for the DreamWorks animation panel was trolls, which again, looks very bland. It's yeah. A, it has some original songs, but it's mostly like a jukebox musical. Um, oh God. so it's, it couldn't be more unoriginal. It's did you guys a see, toy. did you guys see <laughs> strange magic from two last year? Two years I didn't see that. I, I heard forgot it was so about horrible. that movie. Oh man. That as soon as you said jukebox musical, I'm like, yeah. they did that movie already. It was called that. And it was the worst thing I'd ever seen. So, Oh God, I hated that movie. I will yeah. say, um, and I just terrible. I know I've said this before, but this this year definitely uh, confirmed it, which is I think Comic-Con for me is a time to go to the smaller panels yep. and hear people talk and hear people that you haven't heard of uh, or maybe have. But on a, in a very low le- like writers and stuff, yeah. not big actors, uh, just talk about um, something vaguely academic and maybe not as academic as I would like it to be. Maybe not as uh, insightful as I would like it to be, but still that's, I think that's what I enjoy Yeah, because even though, cause I went into hall, I went into hall H cause I, wa- I was walking by, saw there was no line and there was somebody standing by the door and they said, Hey, the, you can just walk into hall H and part of me and part of me thought, well, if you can, <laughs> yeah, you should. Yeah. And so I did. And I, was there for you know a little while and and it, you know it was interesting and it's fun seeing like the celebrities and stuff but then i realized like uh oh right this le- like the forced enthusiasm 
associated with publicity is almost nauseating to me. Um, and I know that that's, that's me. I'm not judging that. Yeah. yeah that's just, also there in a lot of the small panels too. Uh, um, which we'll talk I, that's, about. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, but to me, see, I find increasingly going to panels every, uh, all the, all these years over a decade, um, big hall age presentation or a small thing in room, you know, four or whatever. Yeah. Um, I, there is a performative aspect to it. And even mm-hmm. whether it's someone I've heard of, heard of or not, whether or not they are good on a panel makes all the difference. You know, I went to panels that you wouldn't think would be full of fireworks and they were terrific because you had people who were interesting and engaging and funny yeah. and stuff like that. And other things that I was really excited for ended up being kind of dry because the people weren't. Mm-hmm. I, I don't mean a, I don't mean actual enthusiasm, nor do I mean, nor, nor do I mean like a, an actual performative uh, element. It, it is more to do with just everybody has their, t- everyone has their talking points from the moderator to the, uh, to the producer, to the actors, which is like, and it's it's you know it's the same as press junkets or anything like that. Like obviously they can't be negative. I mean we've had people come on this show that are kind of producing, uh, kind of promoting a thing that that's coming up, and we ask, well, what's that like? And they say, and they they put a positive spin on it. Then they come back on the show like, yeah, that was terrible. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know it's it's something that will happen, and it's it is it's a necessary part of being in show business, and that's fine. Um, but it's just like it's just uh, it's a it's thousands of people. There's people on the stage, people in the audience. It's thousands of people all not saying the thing that everyone's thinking, which is this doesn't look good. Yeah. Meanwhile, the yeah, people on stage Justin are Timberlake, saying this looks amazing. Yeah, Justin, but they couldn't. Justin Timberlake and Anna Kendrick couldn't say it convincingly enough. <laughs> right. Uh, whereas, like last last year. Uh, Bill Murray managed to get me excited to see Rock the Casbah at least for a little bit. Not yeah. it didn't last long enough for the yeah. movie to come out because I didn't. I never saw it. Yeah, but um, he was good at that. Case in point here, um, and maybe it was just following trolls. But uh, the surprise part of the DreamWorks panel was Boss Baby. Yeah, uh, which is a new um, animated movie coming out in 2017 uh, where Alec Baldwin voices a talking baby. Um, Sounds stupid. Not but, to be outdone by Kevin Spacey and a talking cat. Right. Ugh. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you had Alec Baldwin on, on the panel mm-hmm. and, you know, footage from most anything would have looked inspired after the trolls footage. Sure. So the two scenes they showed from Boss Baby, did you stay long enough to watch I did. The, uh, there's There was some creativity, some uh, visual imagination, and uh, one or two jokes. And there was energy. That was, yeah. uh, even in the animation, like the trolls stuff just looked like, yeah, all right. Whatever. I don't give a shit. Whereas Boss Baby, it looked like everybody was excited to make it. And, <laughs> and Alec Baldwin is an odd presence. And it was fun, you know, uh, when they were referencing, because it was happening at the same time as the Republican convention. And so there was a fun thing where he talked about, uh, he talked about what he has two brothers, uh, oh, yeah, that, are, who at are, the, both in that are at the convention. One was there in support of it. The other was there protesting. it. <laughs> and, uh, and so like, stuff like that is, is fun, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I just, I don't have the, I don't think I'm in the future. I don't think if given the opportunity to go into college, I don't know if I will, maybe I will. I don't know. It depends on what's there because I'm glad I was in there for the next thing. And no question. Which was, uh, as far as panels that I saw at Comic-Con, this was probably the highlight of the weekend for me was the, uh, panel for Luke Besson's new movie, Valerian in the city of a thousand planets. 
Uh, it was a delightful panel. It was an hour just about this one movie. The first almost half of it was just putting up slides of like character and location, like concept art and his like production designer or whatever describing like, so here's the different areas of the city and here's, they have, because the city is host to different uh, alien like life forms. They have different atmospheres in different parts of the city. And then here's this life form of alien and they wear this kind of suit in order to interact with other life forms. It was super nerdy, but in a way that was fascinating to me. And then Got even better, um, if you can imagine, because they brought out Dane DeHaan and Cara Delevingne, who were great, uh, and showed some really exciting clips. Uh, And this is the point I make every year. Uh, As much as I didn't care much for the DreamWorks thing, I want my hats off to DreamWorks for not just creating an extended Comic-Con trailer, which is all that Warner Warner Brothers and Marvel do, and it's part of the reason I'm not excited to go to those panels. I I haven't been to a Warner Brothers or Marvel panel in three years, and I have no intention of going because it's what you're talking about. It's just so clearly Mm -hmm. part of the marketing mechanism, whereas actually getting to see full scenes, or in the case of Valerian, because they're have only somewhat recently wrapped, uh, bits of scenes that have been edited together is so much more exciting. And I feel like I, I feel more excited for the movie or like I have a better picture of the movie because I've seen scenes from it as opposed to trailers, which are, you know, trailers in their own are, uh, can be artistic and moving in their own way. But as far as representations of the movie, trailers are a lie. That's what they're supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. They're, supposed to misrepresent the movie in a way um that's me being cynical but uh the valerian uh scenes were super exciting they reminded me of the fifth element which mm-hmm. is um uh clearly at least among the comic-con crowd is luke Besson's masterpiece mm-hmm. um i don't know if i feel that way because i'm a big la femme Nikita fan um and i know a lot of people like the professional mm-hmm. uh, aka leon but when it, when people talked about his other movies on this panel or, you know, the Q and a or him getting the ink pot award from Eddie Ibrahim, um, people talked about the fifth element and Valerian in the city of Valerian in the city of a thousand planets definitely feels like it's in that fifth element vein of being very imaginative and kind of goofy. I feel like if I feel like any panel where the director is there is going to be more interesting to me because as opposed to a producer or as opposed to the actors, like you have the creative force behind it. And so the energy will be there naturally because they wanted to do this. Yeah. And this is a thing they're very excited about and they are, and they want you and they genuinely want you to see it because they're trying to get something across or whatever. Um, now that panel, was that after Snowden? Um, Oh, did I get him backwards? I think so. You're right. Yeah. Cause I was there for Snowden and then I left. Oh, okay. Well, let's finish talking about Valerian. Do we okay. have anything else? Because you, oh, you didn't see that. I'm the only one who saw the Valerian footage. Right. I, yeah, oh. you're the only one who saw the footage. Um, they came by our thing on one of the days. Uh, Your activation. The activation. I don't like. I don't like saying that. I do. <laughs> it sounds <laughs> real dumb. But um, <laughs> but yes, they came by and were very uh, very fascinating. Luke Besson. We we uh, were told Luke Besson wasn't going to be able to come, and we were like, ah, oh, shoot. And Dan, who was doing the moderating, was like upset because obviously he wanted to talk to Luke Besson. And then the last minute they were like, Oh, he's here. You want to talk to him? And Dan's like, yeah, yeah, of course. Why would I? <laughs> um, but he was very excited about it. all three of them were very like up about the, the project and everything. And, and everything I've read and seen about the comic seems very like, I mean, cause he was, he took a lot of inspiration from those comics for the fifth element. And so it's, it feels like, in the same vein, like you were saying. And yeah, I, I 
become a, a big fan of those weird European sci-fi comics from the seventies. Just the okay. art style of them are so like they're drawn very kind of shrewd, uh, crudely, but they just, they have so much depth to them and things like that. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the artist Moebius. Yeah, I know who he is mostly from the uh, Jodorowsky's doing right. production designer. Based on what, art. on that um, documentary, I started reading uh, The Inkall, which is the the comic book that Jodorowsky and Moebius wrote together. And it's it's like a weird neo-noir in future times. It's great. And it, it the art in it's really fantastic. So anyway, I'm, I'm excited for a French sci-fi movie made about French sci-fi comics. I think that'll be yeah. cool. Yeah. To be clear, this movie is in English. Yes, it is in English. But. It stars English-speaking actors, I guess, but also probably some French, I would uh, imagine. French people. And I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be a hit in France. I think it'll be a. It's a future cult classic <laughs> for American yeah, audiences, I, unfortunately. But uh, a lot of money is going into this thing. Um, it looks super exciting. I hope people. Yeah. I hope it's good, and I hope people go go see it. When but, is it coming out? Uh, not. It was. Not till next July. It was literally oh, the, wow. the panel was one year to the day from the release date. So July twenty first, twenty seventeen yeah. is when it is when it comes out. Um, uh, but yeah, Luke Besson was very excited. He went in describing it. I, I tweeted this that uh, he was when he was talking about the characters in the in the source material. He he said they travel through time and space and they are so cute. <laughs> uh, and that's kind of the vibe I get from the movie. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It was fun. And, and like I mentioned. Um, uh, Basan got the Inkpot Award, which is the thing, I don't know if you know, um, Comic-Con gives, uh, recognizes um, certain creators uh, for their contributions to popular culture or geek culture or whatever over the year years. And then when they appear on a, on, on a panel, they're sort of, uh, I, I can never tell if it's a surprise or not. Luke Basan seemed surprised, but um, they get the Inkpot Award. Um and that's very that's, yeah. It's very good that uh, good for Luke Besson that he got that. Yeah. Um, but you're right. I did that backwards. Um, before that was Snowden. Yeah. Uh, which was Oliver Stone's Comic Con debut. And Boss Baby was Alec Baldwin's Comic Con debut. Yeah. There are people who are nerds about Comic Con. I'm kind of one of them who do keep track of who has and hasn't been in terms of big stars and like when their first uh, uh, appearance was, because I think like Benedict Cumberbatch of all things, like his first appearance was for like the penguins Madagascar movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and that's very funny to me. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Harrison Ford, it was not for star Wars. He was there for Cowboys and aliens. It was right. the first thing. Yeah. Uh, he, first time he ever came to comic con. Um, but yeah, Oliver Stone making his comic con debut. Um, yeah. You, I've talked too much, Tyler. What did you think of this panel? Uh, I thought it was very interesting. They they kick it off with this this nice little uh, montage uh, of like a celebration of Oliver Stone, yeah, including movies that he merely wrote but did not direct. Um, I don't see there that there being any problem with that. They're not you selling. And I, you and I are a tourist, David. Okay, but they're selling the man, not director Oliver Stone. Like the, there's know, nothing that said just, this is about the director Oliver Stone. Like this is about Oliver Stone and his contributions to cinema. I know. So but my it, first thought is like, it's like, yeah, but we don't know if Brian De Palma like went in and like changed the script for Scarface. Like, I don't know the, 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 the Hollywood, the, the movie lover in me is just like, you know, I read the original script for, for Rain Man, the one that, you know, and the screenwriter got an Oscar for it. Uh, the actual script for the movie that you saw was written by Barry uh, Levinson and Dustin Hoffman when they realized that the original script was awful. And it is awful. Yeah. And so right. it's just like Rain Man's not that great a movie anyway. Uh, oh, 
<laughs> it's major improvement. Yeah, no question. Uh, but, uh, and so that there's just a, it, it's not something I get insanely angry about, but my first thought was like, uh, I think Scarface, I think De Palma. And I know that maybe I shouldn't, but you yeah. Know. Okay. And also Midnight, uh, Midnight, Midnight Express. Express. Yeah. Um, which I did see. Yeah. Did they show Conan the Barbarian? Uh, no, no. Well, but they, what they did show, that's a shame. He wrote that in addition to clips from his movies, mm-hmm. they also showed clips from other things that are in where, where like that reference. So there's when it came to Scarface, it wasn't yes. just him saying, say hello to my little friend. It yeah. was like a bunch of other like movies where that yeah. line has mm-hmm. come up. Um, they showed the scene from boiler room where the characters are doing the Michael Douglas yeah. greet is good speech, uh, from wall street. Yeah. Um, it, it was cool, but then was, yeah, then the panel started, and all they showed was the new trailer, which was already out that day. There was no, yeah. there was no footage. Um, but uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Shailene, who plays Edward Snowden, Shailene Woodley, who plays uh, Edward Snowden's girlfriend, and Zachary Quinto, who plays uh, Greg Greenwald, is that his name? Greenwald, the, yeah. Uh, the 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 journalist um, uh, were on the panel, and it was. It was less a discussion about the making of Snowden than it was, as you'd expect from Oliver Stone, a yeah. discussion about the meaning of Edward Snowden yeah. and what and, he did and what our yeah and the the why he thought it was it was important to make the movie in the first place. And again, again, you know, you get the director there, and suddenly it's first off, just in general, uh, I was looking at Twitter while the panel was going on, and a lot of people were tweeting, "Why is this at Comic Con?" and my and my thought was, I don't care. Yeah, I, for, exactly. I'm, I'm glad it's a comic. 100%. Because, you know, it's, I think it's an important story. And I think you have, I don't know, it just, there are people that might have not, might not have been interested in that movie at all. Yeah. Uh, they maybe were only interested in seeing Joseph Gordon-Levitt on stage uh, and, and Zachary Quinto. And, uh, and I guess Shailene Woodley as well. She's, you know, she's a big actress at this point. And yeah, but TV movie coming out. Yeah, I know. I, uh, Jen and I were just talking about that yesterday. We well, talked, well, we talked about that at our meetup. Um, those movies are shitty though. With, um, <laughs> with, with, with front of the show, Terrence Johnson that, yeah, the final divergent movie is yeah, going yeah. to TV. Uh, that's very sad. Yeah. And I'm with you about like anybody should get to go to Comic-Con sure. and any, like, I like that they're putting these kind of off the beaten path movies in hall age mm-hmm. um, yeah. because last year the, the, the panel I was the most excited to see. And the one that delivered the most for me was hateful eight because mm-hmm. it was just, it was like going to show, you know, like we're going to talk about the 70 millimeter process and like show a, you know, proof of concept footage and stuff like that. And, and it was great. And there was a whole like, thing which is like one of the only features on the blu-ray is like a, a little thing about roadshow features yeah. and stuff like that and then you had seven of the eight um samuel jackson couldn't go but he hosted and narrated that footage mm-hmm. and so everybody else was up on stage and then people were asking like surprise i, I hate audience q and i hate it i hate it because I always leave because it's just if you get a bad question it, it's just like, all right, stop talking so that they can answer your stupid ass question. Yeah. But this had like, like had really good questions and like about somebody asked a question about how Kurt Russell, like, like who he channels to get his, uh, his characters. And he's like, that's actually a very good way of putting the way I work and stuff like that, which anyway, the whole point is that there can always be a panel like that, no matter the size and, you're right. It could absolutely give people who wouldn't have wanted to see that movie otherwise a chance to be like, oh, wow, that's that sounds pretty good. And I feel like it just it maybe not by default, but I feel like more likely than not, 
just having a movie like that and having the director and just a movie that doesn't lend itself immediately to the the Comic-Con idea, I feel like the panel is going to be more interesting. I feel like the questions and the, and the discussions, the conversation that is going to be had will be deeper than yeah. the standard Comic-Con panel discussion. And it's great that I mean, because our um, Luke was our um, correspondent, who's normally our weekend editor. He took over for me when I stopped doing that. Um, uh, he was in our in Hall H as much of the weekend as we could get him in, mm. and we didn't have any like passes to get him in to Hall H on Thursday. And he just he texted us and was like, "Hey, I can just walk in. Do you uh-huh. want me to cover these?" And we were like, "Yeah, why not?" <laughs> so yeah, he got to go see the Snowden. He missed trolls. Oh God! But he got to go see Snowden and Valerian, and those were. You know, to to the ones that we when we were editing his pieces were like the most excited about, yeah, because yeah, because yeah. they just weren't what you normally expect from a Hall Age panel, and I think that's yeah. fun. That's great. I, I was going to say we probably won't spend as much time on any day of Comic Con as we're spending now because this was the biggest movie stuff, really. Yeah, that's I mean, definitely true. I've got something for Friday, but it's outside of Comic Con. Yeah. yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, then uh, that's it for me. Uh, No, that's not it for me on Thursday because I also went and saw the pilot of The Good Place. Mm. Um, We don't talk. This isn't a TV podcast. Last week's episode, not uh, withstanding. Um, But this is the new uh, sitcom from uh, Michael Shore um, where Kristen Bell plays a character who goes to who dies and goes to the good place, I guess, heaven. But it's not heaven and it's not Christian. It's a whole other concept of the afterlife. Uh, by mistake. She wasn't supposed She was supposed to go to the bad place. She ends up in the good place. Ted Danson plays her sort of, I, don't know, I guess, the guy who welcomes her to heaven. Her He's, Mr. Jordan? Uh, yeah, her, her Mr. Jordan, <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, it was very funny. I, I, I laughed quite a bit, and I look forward to seeing more episodes. What else? That's very interesting, because okay. I think, I, I don't know how much I'm allowed to say uh, on here. It should be fine. Uh, my friend uh, is the writer's assistant on that show, and uh, this friend of mine is uh, a Christian, and so he was actually very, and he's worked with Michael Scherr before, um, and he was actually very interested to just, he just, for a long time, he just sat back as they were as they were building the world, mm-hmm. uh, the writers, and as they were building it, they started to debate, like, well, what gets you to the good place as opposed to the bad place? Because they, they specifically did not want to delve into theology. But the minute they start asking that question, weeks of theological debate, and they actually found themselves like falling into like dogma, uh, not uh, the movie, the concept. No, no. Uh, like a thing they def- they they're like, well, we definitely don't want to do this. And then they come to realize, oh shit, that's actually really helpful. Uh, having, having a structure, uh, is, is, I, I understand why, like they came up with the, they, they organically arrived at the idea of churches, um, uh, and, and <laughs> like organized religion, uh-huh. um, as opposed to like a, just a, a vague notion of right and wrong. And so, and eventually based, based on what you said, having seen, it, and then based on what my friend said, ultimately they just thought, let's just not mention it. Let's just not mention what gets you here and uh, let's just have a lot more fun with it. And uh, apparently it turned out, he said it turned out very well and so did you. uh, Yeah. And it's not that they don't entirely, they entirely sidestep organized religion. I mean, there's a mention of it um, as a way of saying this is not what this is about. Like Ted Danson has a thing like uh, every religion got it about 5% right is Mm -hmm. what he says. Um, And then there's a whole joke about how, 
there's except one one guy who took mushrooms in 1972 in Calgary got it like 92% right. <laughs> uh, and there's like a framed all like a uh, picture of him in the office. Uh, that, that was very funny. Um, but there is some some mention, and it'll definitely be a fun uh, for for DVR and Blu-ray viewers to to pause and look at the lists of things like because the the formula or whatever is that every action you take in life ha- is assigned a positive or negative point value mm-hmm. and so there are some examples that you see fly by uh on a screen it'll, it'll it will be fun to to pause and look at, at those things because i'm sure it's full of great jokes um but yeah it, it does seem in a way it does seem like the ongoing concern of the show is to be de- define what it means to be good mm-hmm. so i don't know if they'll end up falling back into um religion in terms of talking about that yeah. but um uh that seems to be the uh uh the issue but it, it's it's very funny it immediately brings up my own questions that aren't funny and so it's like well they they can't do this because like let's say you commit murder uh-huh. it seems to me the negative point value associated with that cannot ever be undone you know what i mean no matter what you do after huh. that uh, I, wonder, I wonder if that'll come up i feel like it but part of me is like that's not funny that's not a funny thing to they talk could, about they could make it they funny. could probably make it funny yeah. i'm i'm actually very excited to see ted danson working uh, uh not that he wasn't working for a while not that because he he's been doing stuff consistently, yeah he's been doing yeah a lot of different different stuff but something like this sounds like an interesting fit for him and i would yeah. like to see it um but we learned that uh ted danson and Kristen bell became friends on the set of Big Miracle. <laughs> Do you remember that, that Whale Trapped in Ice you, movie? You've told oh, me about no, it. Yes. Yes. The Whale Trapped in Ice movie. They didn't mention it. They were like, we we became friends on a movie we did a few years ago, and I was like, let me get, I think I know what movie they were talking about. Let me get on IMDb and confirm they were both in this together. Because I remember him in it. I actually don't really remember her in it. Um, it's unfortunate. Uh, well, that's an ensemble. Uh, an ensemble. Uh, what else did you guys do on Thursday? Um... Oh golly, no, uh, n- nothing. <laughs> like just activate. What I do, what I when you say what did you do on Thursday, my answer will always be I sat at my computer and wrote stuff. Well, where were you set up? We were in uh, uh, basically part of the concourse. We'd basically taken a portion of the concourse and turned it into our activation. Um, uh-huh. And then there was like the the area where the the celebrities or whoever was going to get interviewed was like hanging out. Uh-huh. And so there was an outdoor portion and an indoor portion like they, where they had turned like an executive box into this green room. And so we were set up in the green room because okay. uh, there was a there was Wi-Fi that uh, was set up for us. And but yeah, basically, that's all we did was sit in that room and watch famous people come in and out going. Be quiet. I'm trying to write. <laughs> you famous, attractive people. Calm down. Christian Slater. Yeah. I'm trying to write. Yeah. Listen here. The cast of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. You guys need to calm down. Um, uh, so that's what I did every day um, while the activation was going on around us. Um, but uh, but yeah, I was privy to things. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's, I mean, yeah, that's different. <laughs> We ended, we ended up, we didn't interview a whole lot of people for movies. I just realized that most of the stuff we did was television based because that's, that's, those are bigger casts. And actually, yeah, Comic Con Comic Con is now. It's just TV. Like Mostly every TV, yeah. everything there now is TV because and I suppose we can get into it now or later. Studios don't need Comic Con anymore. Yeah. They, oh, if, did you read that awesome thing? I know you 
Tony, yeah, you Matt, Matt retweeted Singer it. Matt it, Singer yeah. wrote yes, it. Yes, I did. Awesome. That was awesome great. Article. Was Definitely great, check that out. Yeah. About where, where have the movies gone from Hall 8. Yeah, that was a Comic Con. Yeah, that was a wonderful Super article. Super well researched, yeah. Um, but yeah, you don't, new movies don't need to go there anymore. Because we just, what did we just talk about at the top of the show? I went to a whole convention for one franchise. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And every two years, Disney has its own convention and it also has Star Wars celebration. So it doesn't need the fact that they brought anything with Marvel to Comic-Con this year was just because they didn't feel like doing it themselves. Mm-hmm. What was it like two or th- two or three years ago? They just held a press conference a couple weeks after Comic or before Comic-Con, I forget which. Yeah. Just to announce all the movies they were doing. And it, it's this whole thing where like, uh, the news is all about them on these days or these weekends that they have. Whereas at Comic-Con, they have to fight every other studio and every other yeah. thing. It's like, you know, Marvel's TV presence did pretty well this year at Comic-Con, but nobody's really, t- I mean, other than that one, other than the announcement, which is this again, is Saturday night, but like the announcement of actors being in certain things or a little bit more footage of another movie, they didn't bring anything like, so it's, yeah. it's a, it's a weird way. And they also then, didn't, I mean, they technically announced stuff, but like stuff we already kind of knew. We all, like, it was pretty much known that Brie Larson was Captain uh, yeah. Marvel, right? Like, well, that was the same thing with like, uh, at star Wars celebration, uh, they were like, and now we just want to announce, you know, cause no one's ever heard this, but like, there was a joke that Alden Ehrenreich was playing, uh, oh, young Han Solo, yeah. and I'm sitting there going, we, "Was this not already confirmed?" And it hadn't been confirmed. Oh, it was yeah. a I month ago. Yeah, I was yeah. just like, because I, I asked other press people, I was like, "Didn't we already know this?" And they're like, "Well, it wasn't official." It's like, hmm. but That's once we know it already, yeah, you should yeah. just make it official. The fact that that was the big yeah. reveal at this convention. <laughs> I remember in 2010 when they were supposed to announce at the Marvel panel that um joss whedon was directing avengers uh-huh. but everyone knew yeah, yeah yeah so much so that joss whedon actually said it in his own panel the day before the mr like oh so a full like 30 hours before it was supposed to be announced on stage he was like i am directing the avengers by the way and then like everyone was like yeah, yeah we know and then yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, gone. <laughs> yeah it's this weird it's this weird foregone conclusion for a lot of that stuff and then you have the people who are really trying to like um like Warner brothers on Saturday was like, we got to bring it because people did not like our last movie and we've kind of hung our hats on. Yeah. Zack Snyder. And, uh, we're now we're going out of order, but that's fine. Cause uh, none of us were in hall. None of us was in hall H on, on Saturday. Right? right. For all this stuff. No, no, no. So when I asked my, uh, you know, movie blogger acquaintances who were there at the end of the day, Marvel, uh, Marvel, or Warner Brothers. Who won Hall H today? The answer across the board was Marvel. Marvel won, but I think the impression outside, I think a lot more people were talking about Warner Brothers for the simple reason that they they put out the trailers. Yeah, yeah. And, were, and so there were gifts to share and things to yeah. dissect and discuss for people who weren't in there. And so I think it feels like. Uh, f- however it feels to those 6,500 people who were in the room all day yeah. to the rest of geek culture, uh, Warner brothers had a bigger day. Agreed. I mean that sitting there waiting for the news for both from both of those panels and Marvel's panel was late was, was the six thirty PM panel. So we're sitting there like tired and right, we want to yeah. go eat and stuff. We're waiting for this news to finish up, uh, see what gets, what gets released. And, and I was very underwhelmed by the news coming out of the Marvel panel, but 
I wasn't in there to see yeah. all of those people come. I mean, that's, that's part of the fun of your in hall age is seeing yeah. 63 trillion celebrities on stage at the same time. Yeah. yeah. And uh, feeling the collective yeah. energy of, uh, of people getting excited yeah. about that, those things. Yeah, so, absolutely. And, and like the, the Marvel movies are successful for a reason because they pick good people and they, you know, everybody is very likable on most of these movies. I just, I've grown to the, the, the realization that Marvel, the Marvel movies as the Marvel studios franchise, whatever it's Chipotle. <laughs> like you're going to get a, a hearty meal. Uh-huh. It's going to taste pretty good. Uh, some of them, it might not be as great as the last one you had. Some of them some might, be, might fall apart. Some might fall apart, <laughs> but overall, you know what you're getting, but it'll never be, super amazing. Like you're never going to eat a Chipotle burrito out of the blue and just be like, Oh my God, that was the best burrito I've ever had in my life. Because yeah, that's the, interesting. That's, they're all the same now at this point. Yeah. Because it, like early on, I feel like, and to some extent Marvel still has a reputation for like getting interesting directors, but then they grind them up in their machine and they make <laughs> Marvel movies. Right. Right. Whereas the Warner Brothers movies so far haven't been good, but yeah. the, it does They've feel like there's uniquely the potential. Bad. Yeah. Unique, that's my favorite. Like, 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 but there's still a potential yes. for one of these Marvel or yes. one of these Warner, these Warner Brothers DC movies to be great. Yeah, I'm a big I'm a big fan of the X Men franchise, even though about half of the movies are not good. Uh-huh. Like, and it's because like like Deadpool was the big hit of last year's Comic Con. I thought. Uh, because everyone was like, Oh my God, it looks exactly like they said it was going to. Mm-hmm. And then the, the movie ended up being really fun. Uh-huh. Um, uh, X-Men apocalypse was riding high because days of future past was really good mm-hmm. and it's a huge mess, but it's a big, like enjoyably stupid mess. Yeah. So like I had way more fun watching that complete failure than I did kind of watching civil war, which was a very good movie. Like I, I watch it and just like, yeah, that's a good movie. That's a good Marvel movie. I didn't like it as much as winter soldier or something like that. But I, it's like, I, I like these, I mean, obviously I did a whole podcast for it for however long I did it. Um, 200 episodes, but I like these kind of grand failures of movies. Like uh-huh. we really swung for the fences and just didn't, didn't connect at yeah. all yeah. or connected a little bit like foul tipped it or whatever. That was the thing that I wrote in my review of civil war, which I actually didn't like that much. I, it has its moments obviously, but, um, and I do like it more than Batman versus Superman. But the thing yes. that I said is at least Bat, like, you know, a lot of people talk about how dark Batman versus Superman is, uh, I think uh, aggressively so. Um, but at least un- it at least understood that it's a, this is a big deal. These two, these yes. two guys fighting when they should be on the right side, yep. th- on the same side fighting against evil, but they're going against each other. That's a big deal. This is a sad thing. This is yeah. a thing we shouldn't be happy about. So it will be dark. Whereas Civil War feels like every other movie, every yeah. other Marvel movie. Yeah, yeah. And so it's just like Civil War is still better, but at least at least uh, Zack Snyder and, and uh, Warner Brothers, at least they understood that something important is happening. Yeah. As opposed to another thing is happening. Yeah. And, uh, Go ahead. I was just going to say, and at least that movie feels, I mean, you guys did a whole episode a couple of years ago about Zack Snyder. Mm-hmm. At least Batman vs. Superman feels like a Zack Snyder movie. Like it feels it like sure there's does. some authorship to it as opposed to like, I love the, the Russo brothers. I think they're great directors, but they pick these directors who are at now they didn't at first, but they pick these kind of workman directors yeah. to, to just, they're going to get the movie made the way that Marvel makes movies. 
whenever they pick somebody that is somehow unique, I have stopped being excited about that. I'm the opposite of excited. I'm bummed about it because it's like, oh, now it's two years until we're going to get a good, you know, Ava DuVernay or whatever. But yeah, yeah, she, yeah. Or she left. But. She left, yeah. And same with Edgar Wright. It was like, yeah. He was in that machine for such a long time, ended up not even directing that movie. And it was like four years that we couldn't, we could have had another yeah. Edgar Wright movie. And so, yeah. and like, and so now James Gunn, who I thought was one of the most interesting directors yep. for a long time. Now he's doing guardians of the galaxy, which I know a lot of people love. I think it is fine. And I think, and people are like, Oh, there's like, it's kind of like kind of that quirky James Gunn thing. It's like, it's going to be quirky no matter what, because of the nature of the story and good for him for bringing what he could to it. And same with Scott Derrickson. Like when I heard he was doing Dr. Strange, I thought, Oh, that'll be fun. They bring in a horror director for this very strange, fantastical film. And I thought like, that'll be interesting to kind of realize that it's like, but it's only going to be realized to the extent that Marvel is comfortable. Yeah. There are, there are, they're still all knockoffs of John Favreau films, right? Yeah. He kind of set the, yeah, yeah, he did. You're absolutely right. Like, and and there, and like, I like John Favreau as a director, but he sort of, set this template and that's exact that everyone has to yeah. make a John Favre, their version of a and John those, Favre movie. Those first couple, not, f- I mean, uh, incredible Hulk, notwithstanding, cause that w- there was problems with that movie, but uh, there was Kenneth Branagh's Thor mm-hmm. and Joe Johnston's, uh, uh, Captain America, the first Avenger. Both of those, I thought there was some, there were, there was authorship to those. Obviously oh, no question there. you you watch yeah. those movies and you can kind of see, especially now that you've seen like uh watch brand as Cinderella, you can kind of see like, Oh, he, he, he does these big costs. Mm-hmm. I mean, he did Hamlet for God's sake, but, um, but then after that and after really after the first Avengers, once it became, this is a huge money making yeah. thing. We can't let anybody down. Right. Right. Yeah. It, and it's, it's interesting that they so often, like with the Russo brothers and with what is his name? Alan Taylor, mm-hmm. who did, uh, who did the, the second, second four. Tour. Yeah. They bring in TV directors, in not TV to imply TV directors are bad. No, no, no. But they're used to be part. They're used to being part of something yeah, bigger yeah, yeah. and getting their marching orders from somebody else, which is why it was so weird that the third Iron Man was done by Shane, uh, Shane black. Yeah. And the third Thor is being done by Taika white. Yeah. So it's, a, it, so they are doing weird things, but yeah. I, again, I, I feel like it's, it's going to be a neutered version of all these yeah. guys. Yeah. All right. Well, we got way off track. We sure did. Um, yeah. What were we on? <laughs> we were on Thursday. About? I don't know. Do you have anything else? Uh, I do have a couple okay, more things. Uh, so I went to the 1986 panel. I go to these every year. You Sometimes, usually don't stay the whole time. I don't usually stay the whole time. I did this time. They have a 1986 was, panel every year? No, they, every year they have a the movies of 30 years. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. I, was I wasn't tell like, if you're, I couldn't tell if you were joking or not. No, no, no. I was either furious or I should just explain. Yeah. Um, yeah. The second one, please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they always look 30 years back and I've gone the last, you know, three or four years and almost invariably it's, it's that kind of, it winds up being a little bit snarky where it's like, we've got 30 years of hindsight so we can make fun of these projects or talk about how awesome they are. It's like, yeah, but there's, there's a difference between like, uh, being a retrospective. Right. And just looking for an opportunity to either be nostalgic or superior. Anything that feeds nostalgia anymore. I'm out. Yeah. I don't want anything to do with it. I think it's heart hurtful to art. Oh, you are speaking my language, man. Uh, <coughs> yes, there's a, I, I want to do an episode sooner rather than later about just eighties uh, nostalgia and the role that it's playing in, in film and television right now. Cause it's fascinating. There's no reason anybody good, should be getting a death threat for remaking an eighties movie. That is, uh, <laughs> well, hang on now. 
I don't know. Amadeus is pretty good. Um, <laughs> but this one, this one was actually pretty solid. They, they, for the most part, stayed away from like just that general attitude. Every once in a while they veered into it. But, you know, they talked about Blue Velvet. Sure. And then they talked for a while about David Lynch and talked about what is the most, the panel was discussing what is the, because they, they, sorry, they asked the audience, raise your hand if you've seen, if you haven't seen Blue Velvet. 75%. Really? I hadn't seen it, yeah. really? Oh, yeah. And they said, okay, well, you got to go see it. And then someone else said, well, hang on a minute. Maybe that's not the best way to be introduced to David Man- uh, David, Man- David Lynch. Uh, it's a and terrible then- way to get introduced <laughs> yeah, to David Mamet. Yeah, admittedly. Uh, and so then they went around and they just started talking about what is the most accessible David Lynch film. And, you know, so they – and. So they go around, they say that, you know, they probably Blue Velvet, and then they say, then one guy said, just watch Twin Peaks, and that will get you into his mindset, and it's great. And then from there, you can definitely go into almost any David Lynch uh, property. Yeah. Um, so it was very, it was, you know, and they, so they're, in this panel, they're talking about Twin Peaks, Mulholland Drive, uh, Dune, which they talked about a couple years ago uh, mm. in a shitty way. Um well, can't blame him. That's true, but you know what? Not, very, not, very not merely, not merely shitty, but just like because that's the thing is is there's a way to look back on a movie that did terribly and still find what's interesting about it. Yeah, David Lynch directing Dune is inherently interesting. Mm-hmm. You can either spend time on that, or you can spend time talking about like, is this movie dumb? And it's like, I don't have any. Why would you do that? That's because well, yeah. the second one is better theater. That, well, that's true. That's, you get to stop thinking of these panels. As being lectures and think of them as theater. Yeah, college boy. Sorry, yeah. sorry. Uh, you know, and so uh, I got my UCLA and my Comic-Con. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but then they also talk about The Fly. Yep. They talk about Manhunter. They even had a little special something for the Mosquito Coast. I was not expecting to hear about the Mosquito Coast I'm, at Comic-Con. That's the part. I'm jealous I wasn't there for that because yeah. I love the Mosquito Coast. And then so, and you know, and they talked about Highlander and then, so I, I, it got, I'll say this, it got me looking, it, I looked up 1986 to see what movies came out. Tons 86 of 86 was a great year. Yeah, it like was. Like they barely, they didn't even really mention Aliens. Uh, you, you know. said they didn't mention Buckaroo Bonsai, which is also 86. Um, you know, and then I talked to one of the guys uh, afterwards and I, I asked him if he had seen, I was not expecting anybody to say Mona Lisa starring Bob Hoskins, but it's a marvelous film. And I said, I said, have you seen... Mona Lisa. He goes, I love Mona Lisa. He said, I, he goes, I, it was on my list of things to talk about. He goes, it was low on the list. Cause I, I didn't think people would really respond to it, which is true enough. Yeah. And so it was a, it was a, it, if people come away from the Snowden panel wanting to see Snowden, whereas they previously didn't, uh, that's great. I came away from this f- rethinking 1986 as a really solid movie. year. Totally. Um, uh, then I went to another, I went to another panel after and it was, uh, movies and TV shows, uh, that were not made, but you know, uh, years were spent, uh, trying to, Oh, that's great. And, and it's, it's interesting and it's definitely a, a, it's in the conversation now. I mean, what with Jodorowsky's Dune and, uh, the death of Superman lives, what happened? And, uh, uh, lost soul, lost soul is really good, which that a movie still got made, but definitely not his. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, well, and Dune, Dune also got made. What? Oh, yeah, a movie true, got made. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's yeah, true uh, of all these. That's true. Yes. Uh, 
so they brought up some of the some of the ideas that you know got to usually some uh, got a script and then some some uh, uh, concept art and stuff like that. So uh, Russell Crowe wanted a sequel to Gladiator, and he wanted Nick Cave to write it. Okay. Oh, and, I think I remember hearing about this. And Nick Cave said, uh, I believe Nick Cave said, because I think John Logan eventually wrote a whole idea for it, but Nick Cave said, uh, you died in the last one. <laughs> and Russell Crowe said, well, that's your problem, uh, <laughs> which I think is, which I think is, is funny. Yeah. Uh, but, the, but I think Nick Cave uh, went away, and I think John Logan wrote this idea that is, it's a Gladiator sequel, kind of, where the the Maximus character, his spirit now because he's like the eternal warrior. One could say he's the ultimate warrior, but not that one. Okay. Um, and so he, being the eternal warrior, we see Maximus start to like his spirit starts to show up at different battles throughout history: the Civil War, Vietnam. Uh, so Maximus just all, like uh, like. Uh, like quantum leap will show up, <laughs> fight uh, a battle and then move on to the next thing. Um, an idea that was then that was scrapped, but was also toyed with, uh, for a blade runner sequel in which Roy Batty, we see that he's been a lot alive a lot longer than the four years or whatever it is. And that, and we just see him go from battle to battle, uh, over the course of like a century or something. So it's all, uh, these are very strange ideas. And then we heard about uh, Darren Aronofsky wanting to make RoboCop, which would have been, I think, kind of amazing. Um, we hear we we heard about uh, the movie, the Three Stooges movie that was supposed to that was supposed to happen, but just kind of faded away. Hmm. That was going to star Sean Penn as Larry. Yeah, that's oh, right. Benicio del Toro as Mo, and Jim Carrey plus sixty pounds as Curly. And uh, um, did they talk about Paul Greengrass as Watchmen? They did not. Did they talk um, about Terry Gilliam's Watchmen? Yes, they did. Um, and uh, but then they also talked about some TV shows, and they talked about uh, you can find this. Uh, there is a pilot for a movie called Look Well. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Produced by Conan O'Brien and starring Adam West, and it is available online. You can find it somewhere, and it is d- it is amazing. It's absolutely delightful. All right. So uh, so I was very happy with that. That was a fun panel too. Just yeah. you know, uh, hearing people talk about. Just the that panel combined with some of these movie, these documentaries that I've been seeing. Yeah, um, it there is there there's this this new development in the world of, of movie nerds and TV nerds to like think about what might have been. Yeah, uh, is something that I find very interesting and sometimes a little bit off putting, but at the same time, it's still kind of fun. It sounds like you like to go to panels that sound like podcast ideas. <laughs> uh, yeah, kind of. <laughs> so uh, I want to end with Thursday, and then we've got to move on. We spent yeah. way too long on Thursday. Uh, talking about something. I wouldn't normally bring this up uh, because I saw – this is outside of Comic-Con, and I saw a movie that I cannot give you an opinion on because I'm under embargo. Um, and I'm not bringing it up just to brag that I saw a movie early, but because there was another Q&A afterwards. And so I am – I cannot tell you anything about it or what I thought of it, but I saw Snowden. I'm allowed to tell you that I saw it. Uh, and that afterwards there was a Q and a with Oliver Stone, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Shailene Woodley, and live via the internet, Edward Snowden. 
that was one of the coolest Comic Con experiences I've ever had. Yeah. Was sitting in this theater and Edward Snowden's face huge, like because it was the movie they showed the movie and then afterwards they put his face. It was five thirty in the morning, or whatever, in Moscow, and he put his face up on the movie screen, um, and it was uh, a delight. I mean, Edward Snowden always describes himself as someone who is like shy and likes privacy, which mm-hmm. is sort of a motivating factor for him. But he also when and this is true in Citizen Four uh, mm-hmm. as well. Um, when you get him talking about something that he's interested in, he's yeah. incredibly eloquent uh, and very interesting and um, sort of dryly funny. Like he's, he was a f- fantastic guy to listen to. And then there was <laughs> sort of, uh, you know, they asked him serious questions about um, the things that he did. And there's a lot that he, there's a lot that he still can't say. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like we learned, like the, the scene in the movie, which is in the trailer where he gets the SD card with all the information out of the NSA facility. Um, that's not the way it happened in real life. And literally no one except Edward Snowden knows how he did it in real life because he can't say because it's an ongoing investigation. Oh, wow. Um, so he helped them come up with the idea apparently for how he gets it out. But, uh, so that was interesting. Um, he also talked about, someone asked him about, um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's Edward Snowden voice and whether yeah. he thinks it sounds like him. See, it's, uh, and he's, he basically said, uh, he said, no, I don't think it sounds like me because you don't sound like you think you sound, but my family members say that it sounds like me. Um, but, um, one of the highlight, one of the highlights of this Q and a was not even, well, there was also very funny because there was like a 10 second delay. So there'd be questions and like Oliver Stone would say something funny and everyone in the room would laugh and then he'd go on talking and then like 10 seconds later you'd see Edward Stone on the screen go. (laughs) 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 Um, but my favorite story, very, very much you were talking about Alec Baldwin talking about the, the convention going on. Uh, Oliver Stone told a story about, uh, in a deleted scene from wall street Two. um, Donald Trump appeared as himself. And so Oliver Stone talked about the process of directing Donald Trump, which is basically after every take, Donald Trump would jump out of his seat and go, wasn't that great? <laughs> and you know, that story would actually be adorable if circumstances were different. Yeah. Right yeah, now. yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so anyway, um, that was, uh, that was one of the most exciting things I've ever gotten to do absolutely. Uh, at, at Comic-Con. Second only to our meetup, which was that night. It was absolutely. Blast. Thanks and to everyone for coming. Yes. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Bootlegger continues to be a, uh, a really great uh, venue for our meetup. Yeah. And we had a, we had a full turnout. I, uh, everyone was late. <laughs> like, it started at 8. At 8.40, we were looking around like, oh, boy, yeah. what did we do wrong? Did we need all three of these uh, tables? Yeah. But then... It got, uh, yeah, everyone showed up. It, it ended up being packed just a little later than we had uh, planned. Um, anyway, uh, should we move on to Friday? Sure. Because you guys go right ahead. I was I was not feeling well for a good portion of Friday, so I didn't show up until the evening, and then I only did one thing. Uh, so uh, while you guys talk, I'm going to use the bathroom. Okay. Sounds um, good. Well, I will mention very uh, – I only went to a couple of panels, um, and even then they weren't um, all about – movies so i went to one that was very interesting called women below the line uh mm. that was about um, women who work behind the scenes in various pop culture uh and entertainment fields so you had assistant tv editors and video game uh designers and prop fabricators and all it was a really cool and really interesting panel but not a lot of movie stuff to talk about hmm. and certainly no news or anything it was just an interesting insight uh and i like this they did eventually get to like the specific experience of being a woman in these jobs, um, and how in the internet, like one of the things they talked about was in an 
the entertainment industry, when you're going from job to job, you're generally working as a contractor. And that means a lot less often you have an HR department to turn mm-hmm. to. And so, um, being in a male dominated field, there's more harassment and fewer things to do about it, uh, which is kind of frustrating. Yeah. Um, but a lot of, a lot of the panel was just them talking about their personal experience and it was just sort of like seeing women in roles that we don't see them in. It wasn't about that topic necessarily. Yeah. Uh, you went to your one panel on Friday, right? I did go to my one panel on Friday, which was, uh, the shout factory panel. Okay. Which is the one I try to go to every year. I, I moderated it a few years ago. Yes, I remember that. Um, it was, uh, I didn't go this year because it was late in the evening. It was very late. Something yeah. else to do, which we'll talk about. Yes. And I'm jealous of you <laughs> that you got to do this. Um, uh, but yeah, that's good. I mean, I, more and more, and I, t- I, even though just a little while ago I said that nostalgia was harmful, liking old movies is not harmful. Right. That doesn't mean that doesn't, not that's the not the same thing. Yeah. So it's great to see what movies, and the fact that Shout Factory has been doing it long enough that they're getting the the chance to put out bigger cult yeah. movies, like the fact that The Thing is coming out under their label later this awesome. year, yeah. and the fact that Buckaroo Banzai is their first. They have this new thing called Shout Select, which uh, is like it, it's got a numbered spine. It's like kind of their uh, criterion oh, okay. one, but it's it's ones that maybe don't have a big following or should have a, or they think should have a bigger following and ones that they just think are good movies. So are they doing limited runs like Twilight time style? Yeah. 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 So, uh, like, um, Buckaroo Banzai is their first one and it's got new special features on it. And, uh, like midnight run is one that's coming out soon and stuff like that. And, uh, they're doing a, a, a box set of both Bill and Ted's excellent, uh, Bill and Ted movies, the bogus and excellent. Yeah. Um, they just today, as of recording today, like announced a bunch of like what the full like list of features. And yeah. Yeah. Is. It, and they're pretty impressive. Box. It's pretty impressive. And they showed a little bit of, uh, the, um, that documentary and the fact that they got both Keanu Reeves and Alex winter to do like a big long discussion about yeah. those movies. Cause they're still friends, the two of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that. which is, and it's, so I'm really excited for that stuff. Uh, they showed the, um, the, basically a um, before and after type of little thing about the restoration of Transformers, the movie, which is another uh-huh. 1986 movie. Uh, it looks amazing now. Like oh, cool. I've, I'd never seen it not on VHS tape. I don't think Yeah, that's how I've seen it. And uh, they went back, they found the original 35 millimeter um, print and then they're putting it out in cause they was shot in or, you know, made in 35 widescreen and then it was cropped to be because they figured most people would watch it on TV. So yeah. they're going to put both versions of that. It looks really great. They found oh, cool. the original uh, soundtrack. Hmm. So they were able to do that. It's, it just looks amazing. And so I love, I love going to those panels. Like if criterion had a panel there or if, you know, like arrow video had a panel, there, I would go to these things. Cause yeah. that's the stuff that I, I, uh, I have to deal so much in new movie stuff with my job that all I want to do when I'm not at my job is, is talk about old movies and the fact yeah, that yeah. they're getting restored and they're getting like proper Blu-ray releases and stuff like that. Um, th- that's, I, I am a big proponent as are you Tyler, certainly in this room full of Blu-rays and DVDs of physical media. And I think that the only re- way that it's going to stick around is if you put, time and effort into them and, and actually yeah. put extras on there. And shout is one of those companies that I've, I've liked since I knew about them just because they take the time and actually, um, 
you know, the, the two guys who were on the panel were basically saying like, not everything that we put out is my personal favorite, but it's somebody's favorite. So we want to put the same effort into it. And I just think that's a great mentality to have. And you know, they're a smaller company, but they're, they're getting a couple Cronenberg movies. Um, Hmm. and they're getting, um, like they've been putting out little by little more and more, uh, uh, Brian De Palma movies. Like they put out Phantom of the Paradise a couple years ago, which is a Mm -hmm. great movie. And they're putting out Carrie and raising Cain this year. Mm-hmm. So it's just like they're getting some, uh, and more Toby Hooper movies and more John Carpenter movies. And just the fact that these filmmakers like the, the company enough to be like, yeah, you can put out more of my movies. Yeah. Cause that like, uh, they live was the first John Carpenter movie they did a few years ago. And he loved what they did so much that he was just like, sure, I'll, you yeah. can do all the rest of them. And so they eventually, I think most of his major movies have now been put out or will be put out by a shout. It's getting to the point now that, uh, you know, so many people talk about uh, Criterion a certain way. I mean, their their brand is very firmly established. Yes. And, you know, if you owned every Criterion Blu-ray, you'd have a very, very good selection uh, of movies or a, a good selection of good movies. And it's getting to the point now that Shout Factory, you know, if you – if you started collecting like the Blu-rays that they put out when they decided they were going to really do this and really give them like a really solid treatment, um, sometimes provide original artwork, which is delightful. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. um, those are my favorites. You know, uh, and you were to buy all of those Blu-rays, you would have admittedly a, a fairly eclectic yeah. uh, collection, but it would still be pretty solid. Like you could throw those movies in. There, there would definitely be a. Not unlike Criterion, they're definitely uh, an auteurist bent to it, mm-hmm. like John Carpenter and Toby Hooper and stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, it's Shout Factory is. I like that they're in the same way that, that you said. Yes, I, I like that there are more companies that are really embracing like physical media at a time when you'd think they'd go run, they'd run screaming from the because room. the majors don't yeah. want anything to do with it. Yeah. Like yeah. if you buy a yes. Blu-ray anymore that's not put out by a smaller company, it's going to, you're, you're basically wasting money. You could just as easily buy the download version no. and keep it and watch the movie. Cause the movie looks fine either way. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um, but, but it, yeah, what these, these companies have done, like we talked about a lot of time, heavily having a limited run and, and, and shout having more than one sort of imprint with like scream factory yeah. in the, in the selects. And then like Kino's done this too with like, they have the Jezebel yeah. label yeah, yeah, and like yeah. the redemption label. They've made, the label something that's collectible or something that you're, you're able yeah. to be a fan of. So even if they're putting out a movie that you don't like or haven't heard of, people are going to buy it because they build brand loyal, loyalty. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's obviously something that uh, I guess big studios haven't been able to, to do with their own movies, which is why they're licensing to uh, these other companies. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, so that's Friday. Well, I also went to the reinventing horror panel, Ugh. which was an interesting uh, discussion of young, um, indie horror filmmakers um all in this case white males and only bring it up because it came up in the q a um which led to some really interesting we're fucking nailing it guys uh, <laughs> good job it led yeah. to some interesting discuss- discussions there was a very combative uh uh question asker really um, uh, yeah um on on more than one topic uh she uh she called them on that's what's great about these the q a in the big room they have someone there whose job is to like cut them off if they try to ask too many questions or go yeah. in like a bad direction there's no one in the small room so this woman was like here's a bunch of shit you've said so far that i didn't like <laughs> and like attacked them uh and um it didn't get out of hand it ended up being an interesting uh conversation and they um 
I do wish that I, I do think it would have been interesting to have a horror panel that had more uh, women or people of color on it um, to give their point of view because it ended up being a huge part of the conversation. But when it's a bunch of white guys talking about it, it kind of goes in circles after a little bit. Fly out Jennifer Kent. Uh, right. I was yeah. thinking the same thing. Yeah. Uh, Karen Kusama. Um, right. Yeah. She made the invitation. Yep. That was her. Uh, yeah. Um, and Jennifer's body and Eon flux. Oh, okay. and girl yeah. fight. Oh, wow. Yeah. She's been um, around a while. Yeah, she has. She's only made those four movies. So, uh, yeah, that's correct. Um, 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 um and, I mean, they ended up getting some interesting stuff. It's like, okay, now they're in a position to hire, you know, we should try to have more diverse crews. It shouldn't be just about uh, female people of color directors. We should be um, building crews from the ground up and and, uh, looking toward the future of horror and the future of the film industry (laughs) in in general. Uh, But um, it did kind of, like, after a while, it was like, all right, you've done enough backpedaling or apologizing for being all white males. Um, but mostly they talked about, uh, it was called reinventing horror. And, um, the first question is, what do you, what do we mean by that? Uh, and that ended up being a sort of state of the genre discussion. Um, and they, they talked about, um, more and more indie filmmakers, at least as they saw it, um, doing more character driven or metaphor driven pieces, you know, Mm -hmm. like getting uh not necessarily being either something you've talked about tyler like not necessarily being about body count or yeah. like righteous kills um but uh or the movie righteous kill um yeah. which is pretty horrific but, in its own way <laughs> but being about uh working out personal demons through metaphor um uh, and uh there's a lot of respect on the panel for the 1981 film possession with sam neill uh, which i've never seen i've which, heard it's crazy uh, uh our friend scott and i is seeing tonight oh wow oh, i knew as it, we I knew record this it yeah sometimes yeah uh, yeah it does sound like a cool movie um and that was funny like they mentioned like one guy said like sam neill is in it you know him from event horizon which yeah <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, it, um, it was a it was an interesting interesting panel. Um, Tyler, what did what was what was your one panel on Friday? Well, I went to uh, the world premiere of the Killing jo- Batman: The Killing Joke. We passed each other in the hallway. We sure did. Yeah. Uh, okay, so Batman: you're, The Killing. Joke. Your very popular review can be found on our website oh is it very popular oh yeah oh yeah oh really <laughs> we got a spike oh nice <laughs> see uh yeah I, I i know my instincts everything i've read about it afterwards uh seems that the film is problematic in a number of ways you know what it's it uh yes it is uh not though i don't think in the ways that other people are saying um but i will say that first off there was a panel uh, before they started before the, the start of the movie, because officially it was at nine, but they couldn't show the movie until ten because it was rated R. R for reasons I can't figure out. Um, Probably murder. Yeah, there's there's blood and stuff. I don't know. I, I guess that's enough. I guess that's enough. Was uh, it, was there, it, wasn't there nudity in it? No, there's no nudity. No, no one says fuck. No. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, Joker says God damn it. Yeah, that's a PG thirteen thing. Yeah. It seemed like it could have been a PG thirteen. I guess there's a couple of headshots, but they're they don't they don't to me seem excessive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe I'm wrong. Anyway, uh, but the panel had uh, the director of the film. It had Bruce Tim. Yep. It had the writer of the film, whose name I've forgotten. It had Ray Wise, 
who did uh, the voice of uh, Commissioner Gordon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tara Strong, I believe, who... Who does Batgirl. Uh, Batgirl. Yep. And Kevin Conroy was yes. there. And then the... Uh, so the panel started, and Bruce Tim was saying something, and so we're about a minute and a half into the panel, and then the moderator's like, hang on, I'm getting a phone call. And uh, he holds up the phone, and sure enough, it is uh, Mark Hamill. Yep. And... Uh, He's saying some. He's saying some really good things. You know, this is a thing that he wanted to do for a very long time. His voice, the Joker in the Killing Joke. Um, Ray Wise talked about uh, really loving the comic books and getting the chance to play Commissioner Gordon was very exciting. And he said that he goes for my money. He goes the best Batman is sitting next to me. It is Kevin Conroy. And big, you know, yeah, big thunderous applause. applause. Yeah. 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 Um, so you know, standard panel stuff. Uh, they did mention, and I guess this didn't occur to me beforehand, but they had mentioned that uh, the comic as is would not have, when adapted, would not have reached feature length. No. Because uh, so, it's 48 pages. Right. And this, the film is, I believe, 70 minutes. Great. So yeah. that they needed to add material to it in order to make it that uh, that length. And so immediately I was like, Oh, that's going to be interesting. And they said, well, I would only trust this guy right here to, uh, to come up with the, you know, to, to come up with an addendum to, uh, to Alan Moore's uh, comic book. So, okay. And then finally, uh, they said, okay, well let's, uh, let's get to it. And everyone's super excited and, you know, uh, the film and I, I wrote a fairly extensive and extremely popular apparently review, (laughs) um, and it's not very good that in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, I, first off, I think the animation's kind of clunky. I think everything I've seen looks kind of clunky to me. Yeah. yeah. But on top of that, cause they, cause they talked about, uh, that they, they, you know, uh, when they were making the movie, they kind of took certain inspiration from like film noir and I, so I'm like, oh, neat. So I was, well, I was looking at that, and I was like, I don't see any evidence of that, especially when compared to Batman the Animated Series, which right. it, it, it just sets the standard for moody Batman. And, yeah. like, and these are, you know, as, much as, as good as some of those DC animated films are, visually they're strong, but they're not super distinct. You know, they're not as, as uh, dramatic as, you know, Batman Animated Series. Yeah. Uh, so... Not only is it that, but also, so the the problematic moment, the uh, problematic part that you're talking about. So the the material that they added is a 20 minute, what is essentially a prologue about Batgirl uh, going after this uh, this criminal, um, or rather this this mob this young mob boss who is who's on the rise, and he is not really threatened by her, and so Batman says. If they're not scared of you, it's not going to work. So you're off this case. And so then she, in fashion that I would say is more appropriate for Robin, uh, actually um, kind of fights against him and says, like, well, you can't tell me what to do and all that kind of thing. And it ultimately culminates in the two of them having sex on a rooftop. Right. Uh, The audience had an interesting response to that. It was a combination of approval and just murmurs. but it was, and so shortly after that scene, um, and this case is all, is all worked out. And then, uh, Batgirl essentially, Barbara Gordon, pardon me, decides to stop being Batgirl. And then she says, you know, not that it would have mattered in a week cut to a week later, killing joke. 
Um, hmm. Now, here's the thing. Now, okay, so I'll talk about the killing joke, then I'll get to the prologue. And I don't want to, I'm sorry, I'm spending too much time on this already. Um, the adaptation of the killing joke, here's, it's the same thing that got me with 300. It's the same thing that got me with Watchmen. You can't just, even though this is animated, so it seems like you could just adapt it straight from the comic and it'll work. It won't work. It's a different medium. You need to add things if you want this to be cinematic. Uh, you know, the reader of some, uh, the reader of a comic book can, they can stop and digest a, an important piece of information. You know, th- there could be a panel that takes up the whole page. So just the way the panel, uh, just the choice of the, of the, the comic book artist to have one panel take up the whole page that tells us the, the audience or the reader that this is important, right? That this is a pivotal moment in the story we're reading. Well, if you're just if you're that that just becomes one more moment in a movie if you're adapting it straightforward in a straightforward way. Yeah. You need to pause for a moment and let things sink in the way that you could in a comic book. Uh but no, it just keeps moving it just keeps moving forward and it doesn't allow any of the drama mm-hmm. inherent in the killing joke. There comes a moment when uh Joker before he was Joker when his wife dies. That's an important moment. And it feels important. When I read The Killing Joke years ago, I'm like, holy shit, this is a big deal. And I, and I remember, consciously or unconsciously, I just sort of paused and, and like studied the frame and studied the way they had illustrated Joker in that moment or pre-Joker, whatever. Um, well, the movie just moves on. So suddenly when he says, my wife died, it just sounds very matter of fact and very who gives a shit. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, uh, you, like you need to make this thing cinematic, and I and I don't care how much people say that a comic book is like a storyboard, it isn't. It's like one, yeah. but it isn't. Right. Um, and so it just doesn't work. And also, I'm not 100 percent sure that Mark Hamill's Joker fits with this depiction of the Joker. I think he does a f- fine enough job, and there are moments when it really works, but other moments that it doesn't really. Because mm. um, this Joker is not a a big laugher. Um, and, and Mark Hamill's Joker, I associate with that laugh yeah. and a guy who's on the, on the brink of laughing at any moment. Yeah. Did you, sorry to interrupt. Okay. Did you happen to see, I think it was a year or two ago, uh, their adaptation of the dark Knight returns. Did you happen to see I that? I did not. Uh, it's a two part adaptation cause mm-hmm. that's a, that's a thick book. That's mm-hmm. a very long book. Um, but Michael Emerson played the Joker. Oh, okay. And it was really good because yeah. he was very he, I mean, in in that story, he is basically like reformed, quote unquote, but then he isn't. Yeah. Um, and when he actually starts to get to laughing toward the end of his part of the uh, part of the film, it's terrifying because yeah. it's just Michael Emerson talking the whole time like that. And then all of a sudden he just goes insane. Yeah. And I feel like that worked better because like I was happy that it wasn't yeah. um, Mark Hamill and Kevin Conroy that it was Peter Weller in that movie nice. as Batman. Yeah. It's a good movie. That's I really like that one. But to, to your point, like, yes, there's way more content in that, in that story that they can work with. Mm-hmm. But that movie to me really feels very cinematic. Uh, I haven't seen the killing joke yet, so I can't say mm-hmm. for sure, but every bit that I've seen looks like just a neat picture instead of a yeah. film. Well, and also uh, I was reading other reviews and somebody said that Alan Moore is a literary writer yeah. 
Frank Miller is a cinematic writer, hmm. which is why his stuff like Sin City can be adapted a little bit more, a little bit more, uh, you know, one to one ratio, whatever you want to uh, yeah. faithfully. It can be adapted more faithfully and actually seem more cinematic inherently. What was the biggest problem with Watchmen? It's 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 shot for shot, basically the yeah. same. It's just there's no life to it yeah. because that book is very plot heavy. It's very, yeah. you know, every, every frame, you know, every page has nine panels in it. Yeah. Every single one. It's, there's no variation. Maybe there'll be one splash page here or there, but it's mostly a nine panel page every, every time you turn the page. Yeah. And it's, and the moments when Zack Snyder does deviate and decide to do something filmic, like the opening when, uh, they play Bob Dylan's, you know, the times they are changing and it's this interesting oh, yeah. montage. That's a really interesting moment. And that's something that's pure film. That's right. It's not, that's not comic book. And then in the director's cut with, when they do the death of Hollis Mason, that is, they do take that from the comic, but he does it in a cinematic right. way. And it's mm. one of the more powerful moments. But yeah. anyway, anyway, sorry, I've already spent too long on this. I apologize. The thing that bothers me most about that prologue is not the prologue itself. It's not the fact that uh, Batgirl and Batman have sex. It's that they relegate this big thing, this this emerging relationship that previously I'd never thought of. Right. Uh, they relegate it to 20 minutes. And because we're going to watch The Killing Joke, you know, you have to – I feel like you have to take audience expectation into account – not to give them what they want, but you know what they want. They want the killing joke. So if you're going to have this really big, you know, if you're going to devote 20 minutes to Batgirl and have us really want to care about her, that's fine. Except that story could have been a, fu- a feature length in itself. Um, you're basically, you're go- you're inviting the audience to look at its watch and say, when does the Joker show up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So either they needed to integrate it better into the story itself or come up with a different prologue. I appreciate that they wanted to give Batgirl more of a character so that when she is shot, mm. it's more of a tragedy. But I feel like this story is so powerful and it's so loaded in and of itself yeah. that they actually did it an injustice by pairing it with this really famous comic that everyone came to see. Nobody yeah. came to see that prologue. Mm-hmm. I hate to put it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know. It well, just, if they knew... There's going to be superhero sex. Sure. Maybe they would have shown. Maybe. Absolutely. But so yeah, (laughs) killing joke is, uh, I was, I was, I didn't think it was going to be some kind of masterpiece or anything like that, but, uh, boy, I was, I was let down. I feel like they made a lot of wrong decisions. That's too bad. I also saw a movie on Friday. Yes, you did. Uh, I went to see, uh, uh, the new movie by director, Adam Wingard. Uh, it's called the woods or so I thought, (laughs) what's uh, what's that movie, David? (laughs) So I, and I was very excited because I like Adam Wingard and they did your next and the guest, Mm -hmm. um, both really, really good movies. Uh, so I was excited to go, uh, see this screening and the, you know, all the, uh, the, the, the people from Lionsgate or whoever worked in the screening all had t-shirts on that said the woods as we walk in to the movie theater, there's a gigantic like backlit sign, like as tall as I am and the length of like essentially the entire concessions area that says the woods, something evil is heading in the woods, September 16th, 2016. Um, uh, and then, so we go, we sit, sit down and, um, the movie starts and, the the first thing on screen and says, Burkittsville, Maryland. And I was like, hold on. Yeah. Because I'm a big fan of the 1999 film 
the Blair Witch Project. Uh, and immediately I was like, oh, I guess they're playing a little bit of homage to the to the original with this. And then like more and more things until like the words Blair Witch are spoken before too long. And I'm, and I'm like, oh, this is a Blair Witch movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then, then the movie ends and the words come up on the screen. Blair Witch. Uh, they'd pulled the fast one on us. Uh, the movie is not called The Woods. It's called Blair Witch, and it is the third Blair official Blair Witch movie. Um, and it's uh, really good. It's uh, very much in the vein of the original to the point where maybe you could make um, an argument that it's a, a retread of certain certain things. But it's I would say it's more of an homage. And it also uses um, the fact that people are recording stuff all the time now to do more with found footage instead of, you know, the, what are there, two cameras in yeah. the Blair Witch Project? I can't even count how many there are because people have their phones and they have drones and they have like GoPros and there's like, uh, you know, 12 different angles you can pick. Um, so it's a way of doing found footage that frees you up a lot. And it also uses um, visual effects that the original Blair Witch Project uh, either didn't have access to because it was 17 years ago or didn't have access to because it was a very cheaply made movie. Not that this one's particularly expensive right. made, but uh, those kind of visual effects come cheaper now and it uses them sparingly. And I think really effectively um, to, to, um, to, to introduce some new levels of scares uh, and to expand the mythology of the Blair Witch. Uh, overall, I have to be real thumbs up on this movie. Mm. Um, I will say, uh, I would recommend avoiding the trailer. I tend to avoid trailers uh, in general, but I've watched the trailer and there's like two, maybe three big moments that are in the trailer that I would have been bummed if I already knew mm. about. Um, I saw the trailer, but I don't really remember it. So, okay. Um, and then we, yeah, we exited the theater and that ginormous sign in the lobby had been changed. And now it was a ginormous backlit sign that said something is ev- something evil is hiding in the woods. Blair, Witch, September, 16, 2016, and we all got free T-shirts. Um, so it was a... And those are good-looking T-shirts. It is, yeah, yeah, it's a cool uh, red and black uh, T-shirt with the... Uh, it's a red T-shirt with the black part being the, like, stick figure thing yeah. um, from the Blair Witch. I'm shocked uh, at this point that that was as much a secret as it was. It I love that like it seems like there would have been a leak at some point, right? That is my favorite thing about what ha- about that whole... Because I was excited to see a movie called The Woods. Because mm, I, yeah. like you, am a big Adam Wingard, Simon Barrett fan. And they showed they had an initial teaser for it, and yeah. it looked really scary, but you had yeah. no idea what was going on. And uh, our editor-in-chief got to go see it because we were doing a panel with them after you know the day after uh-huh. on Saturday. Uh, so she went to go see it and was like, it's terrifying. I'm not going to tell you anything about it. And it was, yeah. I was infuriated because uh-huh. I want to know things about not, a, not a lot, but enough things. And the fact that there was maybe an inkling, I think, I think there was rumblings that there was something Blair Witch related. Okay. Uh, uh, I, I kind of got tipped because it listed the people that were on our panel and it says I'm Barrett, and then it started. It listed people who made the Blair Witch Project, and I was like, "That's weird. Why are they oh, here?" Oh, that's interesting. Um, so they were there as well. But um, uh, the fact that people went into a movie thinking it was another movie, yeah. coming out realizing it, you know, seeing they completely yeah. changed everything, and then they didn't do a panel about it. They just showed the movie. Well, there then, was a Q and A afterwards. Well, yeah, yeah, no, but I mean, but it wasn't like a hall age panel yeah, yeah, yeah. where they talked about it or whatever. People came out ha- having seen the movie were jazzed about it, wrote their reviews immediately. They, there was no embargo on them as far yeah. as I know. No. Yeah. And then 
Uh, and it's just getting people excited for word of mouth. I mean, I just yeah. think that's such a genius, brilliant marketing idea. It is a oh. good use of Comic Con. Absolutely, that, <laughs> yeah. that's the use of it that it yeah. should be. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good point. But it reminds me of what happened earlier this year with Ten Cloverfield Lane. Like mm-hmm. we kind of those of us who followed Dan Trachtenberg on Instagram kind of knew he was making a movie. We thought it was called Valencia or whatever. And then two months before it's supposed to come out, it's yeah. like, oh, it's called Ten Cloverfield Lane, and it's uh, in the Cloverfield universe. And it it doesn't get us time. It doesn't give us enough time. To become jaded about the movie. Yeah. It's, and that's, that's what this is. It's like, oh, there's a new Blair Witch. It's not like there's a year of us reading tweets about they're making yeah. a Blair Witch movie and we get to have all sorts of think pieces about it. It's like, this, there's a new Blair Witch movie. It exists, and all we have to do is wait eight weeks and we all get yeah. to see yeah. it. Uh, yeah, and, and pe- yeah, people will be, uh, Blair Witch fans like myself, uh, will not be let down by this movie. I'm genuinely, here's the thing I'm excited and nervous. Because I feel like it's going to be really scary. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yes. I'm terrified that it's going to be as scary as I think it will be. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I, I've definitely had, uh, yeah. There, Have you had some nightmares, David? Not nightmares, because okay. scary movies don't tend to give me nightmares. But I do, because I like being scared. Sometimes if I'm at home alone in the middle of the night, I'll think, what if the Blue Witch is in my apartment? What if I like turned around and there she was at the end of the hallway and it, and it gives me the heebie-jeebies and I enjoy that because I'm a weird sicko. <laughs> That's very strange. Um, I, although I think I've said it on, yeah, I on like here before. I like trying to scare myself. At my old apartment, uh-huh. which was just, you know, right off the street. Yeah, uh, yeah. So my, though there were bars on my uh, uh, bedroom window, uh-huh. um, ostensibly somebody could just walk up from the street Right, yeah. And just stand outside my window and like look inside. And so I would be like laying with like my back to the window and I'd be like, now I recognize that were I to turn around, I likely would not see Michael Myers staring in at me. <laughs> I know that's probably not true. I, I know that's probably not going to happen. But what if it did? What would I do? I'd be like, I would probably pass out. Yeah. Just like. At this point, this is, he's Schrodinger's. Michael Myers, right? Yeah. What was it? Schrodinger's Michael Myers. Yeah. Until, yes, until you yes, turn around, absolutely. he 100% is and 100% is not standing in your <laughs> exactly. window. Exactly. <laughs> so it's just like, I better stay like this and go to sleep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. So, um, okay. So are we on day three yet? Uh, yeah. Friday night, I didn't do it. I waited for you to get done. We got pizza. We had pizza at a really, uh, really bro-y bar. Yeah. <laughs> bro-y, but the pizza was decent. It was very good, actually. Uh, yeah. And then I went and had a couple drinks with Matt from Warner Archive and then went to bed um yeah saturday saturday you activated we activated oh boy did we activate <laughs> boy this sounds culty it's, when you uh when you when you put <laughs> it like that yeah it's it was i mean it's weird like i haven't been to comic-con not for work purposes in a in a few years now yeah and so it feels weird to be like there's all these people going to this thing where I didn't even go into the building, but once yeah. like, I mm-hmm. that just feels so weird. I mean, that's where the con is. We were doing something else. We were a yeah. satellite. So yeah. we're like for months, we were talking about our comic con plans. It's like, we shouldn't even call them comic con plans. Yeah. Cause we didn't do anything. You call them activation plans, we call them activation plans or camp carnival plans, which yeah. is what our thing was. But, um, yeah, we had a lot of, uh, we had, a, I think Saturday, Friday and Saturday were our super busy days. Um, at, and we had, I don't know, 12 panels a day or something like that, yeah. which is uh, at a 15 minute, a, a pop turnaround is it's fast and mm-hmm. people, you know, 
getting kind of burnt out. And on Saturday, you moderated one of these. Panels. I did ma- moderate. Um, uh, I got to moderate the Mystery Science Theater uh, um, interview, and uh, it had. Is it- uh, I'm just going to project my own uh, <laughs> insecurities, right? Okay. You talked about having a couple years ago moderated the Shout Factory panel. Yes. Now you're on stage with people who are some of whom are professionally on stage. All of them are. Yeah. Yeah. Is it more intimidating then at that point to 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 be uh, moderating people who are professional comedians? Yes. And uh, it was helpful that they were all incredibly nice people Uh because I got to chat with them a little bit beforehand and stuff. And uh, um, that was nice. And also, I feel like my skills as a moderator, I've done other moderation. And I also think just doing podcasts helps you Mm -hmm. learn to talk and kind of like formulate your opinions and things like that. And I actually had a half an hour instead of the normal 15 minutes. So we split it up to half hour of me asking questions and then a half hour of audience Mm Q&A. So that really free. I mean, like mm-hmm. I can add to a question, but I don't actually have to say anything for a while. Um, which is as a moderator, it's very helpful <laughs> to not have to have to write a half hour's worth of questions. Yeah. Um, uh, but it was, I mean, it's, I mean, mystery science theater was like so formative for me and it's, I mean, not alone in that obviously, but yeah. so the fact that I got to meet, talk to sit next to and, and have an enjoyable afternoon with Joel Hodgson is crazy. Yeah. Um, and so, and he was joined by Jonah Ray, who's the new host. Yep. Uh, Felicia day, who's the new mad scientist, um, Hampton Yunt, who's the new crow and, uh, Baron Vaughn, who's the new Tom Servo. And we had a great time. Like, uh, as of, you know, when we did that last weekend, uh, they had finished writing all the episodes. Uh, they wouldn't announce what, movies they were doing. Cause Joel was like, we didn't tell you at the time what movies we were doing. We're not, yeah. you know, why, why should we tell you now? Which I think is great. Yeah. Um, uh, and they, but they hadn't shot anything yet. So, um, that's kind of cool. Like the fact that they're going to go film all the stuff. Yeah. Um, but all the episodes are written and they each were talking about, um, cause they're all right. Even I, I was sort of surprised that they all were writers on the show as well as, being on the show and there's like a team of writers yeah. too, but they all watched the movie and wrote their own jokes and like submitted them to the writing staff to like huh. the pool, which I think is cool. Um, and, and it's going to be Netflix, right? It's yeah. That was the, the thing that they weren't allowed to announce on our panel, um, or interview. I need to stop saying panel. Um, uh, that was announced later that night at their official panel, which was that, uh, Netflix picked up the, the season. This was a crazy, like, the the Kickstarter, they wanted to make twelve. He wanted to make twelve episodes. He he was like, if they got enough money to make six, they would have made six. Yeah, they needed an, at least enough money to make six, and then it just kept. They kept making more and more money, which is great. Yeah. And then th- it was like they they got to the twelve episodes, and then there was more. I think there's going to be fourteen episodes maybe nice. now or something like that. And then it got so popular. It got. I mean, it was the most funded uh, Kickstarter of its kind ever yet. I mean, like, I don't, you can't even remember how much money it made. $7 million or something like that. Wow. Um, and, and it's, everyone's so excited about it that, cause there was talk that like the audience network or something like that was going to pick yeah. it up. Netflix got it. Like yeah. everyone's got Netflix. Yeah. Everyone's going to watch this stuff. Yeah. So like, I know there were some people who donated to the, the camp cause I donated enough to get a Blu-ray box set. I was like, that's what I want to have on my shelf along with the other DVDs that I have. Mm-hmm. And, I know there were people who were like, you know, you could donate enough and just get the digital downloads or there's stuff like that. There were people who were mad. It's like Netflix. I donated money to get this. It's like, yeah, 
you're going to get it first. Yeah. Like that's still not <laughs> a, an issue. It's coming to Netflix way afterwards, but yeah. it's still just like the fact that everyone's going to get to watch it is really great. That is. And if it's like every other Netflix show, they're going to be all on the same day. So I can just watch them all in a yes. row. Yes. Oh, Got to watch them all. Like Turkey Day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I forgot to ask. Did you guys catch any Pokemon? Oh, my God. I No, I don't play that game. But everyone in the whole wide world was like, <laughs> uh, Petco Park was a Pokemon gym. So we just had people up and down catching Pokemon. All them, all them Pokemon just... <laughs> I appreciate that you say Pokemon. <laughs> the Pokemon. <laughs> At our meetup, I said Pokemon repeatedly yeah. in front of Terrence because I was waiting for him to correct. Like I could see it like eating away at him. Like Terrence knows that I'm doing this to be a dick, but how long can he withstand me saying Pokemon before you've he been hanging out with Paul Goble correct. too long. That <laughs> <Yeah>. is, uh... <laughs> um, Saturday I went to, uh, I didn't mention a, uh, I, uh, I went to panels that I haven't mentioned cause they weren't of interest, but I did actually go to some comic book panels this year. Uh, including today, uh, Saturday, I went to the Archie comics 75th anniversary panel. Fun. It, it was fun though. Not in the way I expected. Cause I expected given the title of it for it to be kind of a retrospective. It was absolutely not that Archie comics, uh, to celebrate their 75th year has a bunch of new shit. And it was basically just look at all our new shit we're doing, yep. yeah. but it still ended up being fun. Cause it's cool that Archie comics, despite being so, like, you just say that it seems so square Oh yeah, and yet it's also so malleable that they've done uh, th- they've done a million other things. So yeah. so they talked about um, the new uh, the first ever live action Archie. Um, obviously, there's been a live action Josie and the Pussycats, uh, but the first ever live action Archie is this new Riverdale series on the CW, which is like a murder mystery that yeah. takes place in. Uh, Did they Riverdale. say it was the first live action Archie? Uh, yeah, because it's they patently it. untrue. Oh yeah, there was a TV movie in the early nineties. Was there? Yeah, uh, Return to Riverdale. I don't know. So they were, it was like their ten year high school reunion or twenty. Maybe. I don't remember that. That's where they yeah. they claimed it was the first ever live action Archie. Well, mm. um, but they also got uh, they have um, a new series coming out called Archie Meets Ramones, where uh, Sabrina uses some like magic time travel to send Archie back to the Lower East Side in the late 1970s, and he gets <laughs> to play guitar with the Ramones. What a great idea! Which is awesome. Um, there's uh, th- they had a whole bunch of um, like uh, no, I can't remember what they were what they, what they were called, but like horror type variant covers. Yeah, of Sabrina and Josie. There was one that was like a Josie in silhouette with like a bunch of bats in silhouette behind her. It was very cool looking. And there was a Sabrina one that kind of looked like the like poster for a Mario Bava type movie, you mm-hmm. know, uh, that was uh, very cool. Um, and then uh, they also uh, announced, or I guess they had already announced, but talked a little bit about the Betty and Veronica fashion line that's coming up. They, that's- they had the designer for the fashion line there. She showed off a, a very cute denim jacket. Um, and then the other big thing is a new, uh, cause I was the new, uh, Mark Wade, Fiona Staples, Archie book started, I guess like a year ago now, mm-hmm. maybe a little less than a year ago. Uh, and I've been reading it, uh, ever since it came out. Uh, I don't know if you're reading it, but it's good. But the, they've also got a new standalone Betty and Veronica book. Um, and they had the writer artist there. This is a book where, uh, Adam Hughes is both writing and uh, doing the art and, uh, everybody who attended the panel panel got a, uh, Copy of issue one with a variant cover. Cool. Uh, so that's one of my favorite things I got at Comic Con this year. That's was awesome. Betty and Veronica issue one uh, variant. So that was one of the cool things I did on Saturday. Well, uh, we talked about your thing. That was my thing, and then I covered news. Tyler, am I going through the whole day? 
No, no, because okay. I still have more to do. All right. Um, the first thing I did when I got there is, uh, you guys are going to think this is nerdy. So what? Yeah, yeah. What am I? What am yeah, I? We're, we're talking about Comic Con. <laughs> uh, like I hope but we this, we're going to think is, this is yeah. nerdy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so, uh, and I guess I'll take a moment to say that uh, no yellow signs this year. Yes, that's true. Yes, I didn't even notice that, but you're right. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I that registered to me on like the final day. And for those who don't know, the yellow signs are. Um, uh, I guess I don't know what they're actually called, but they're a Christian organization. And they have yellow, big yellow signs that say "You're going to hell," or whatever they say, uh, and they stand. They're there. not quite that. The but signs not, don't say that. Yeah, but that's the, what it is. That's what they say. But then, but the what people hate about the yellow signs is that the people holding them have microphones and or megaphones and some of them um, shout yeah. uh, about. Sometimes they're just reading scripture. Yeah. Sometimes they're sometimes they're extemporaneously yeah, uh, making up scripture, scolding us all. Um, and yeah, I don't know why now, they weren't there this year. I have looked into it. Uh, not this year, but just, uh, there are, there is usually one guy with a megaphone who is not associated with the yellow signs. They have made it very clear. Huh. He is not with them because he is usually very aggressive. They usually just stand there and, uh, once or twice they will read, they, they won't, they'll just read scripture. Uh-huh. They won't yell it. They won't. I'm not gonna. I'm not in the habit of defending the yellow signs. Yeah. But I'll say that when we when I think of megaphone guy, I associate it with him. And, and they're uh, like, no, it's not. Yeah. No, okay. The yellow signs are distancing themselves from megaphone guy. Like, what does that tell you? Um, but they weren't here this time. Uh, my guess is they realized that not a single person of the what 150 thousand people there right. yeah. uh, was being swayed. In fact, probably quite the opposite. Uh, yeah. And maybe they gave up. But uh, your friends who hand out the waters were there. Yes. And the thank reason- God, because we haven't talked about it, but this was maybe the hottest Comic-Con I've been to. Oh, Jesus Christ. It was so hot. <laughs> yeah. but, but when we were, here's what's crazy and on humid Saturday. was the worst part. It yeah. was, uh, that was the thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not Missouri humid or anything yeah, cause like I kept, that. Yeah, because I was but- like, look at the temperature on my phone. And it would be like 81. And I'm like, I can handle 81. Yeah. It feels like it's 105 degrees outside. Yeah, because yeah. it was 92% humidity or something right. yeah. like that. It was crazy. Um, it was awful. And so, uh, so yeah, there is a, there is a San Diego based, uh, organization called geeky guys for God. I've come to know them very well, um, because, uh, we both go to alpha omega con, we go to each other's panels and it's a lot of fun. Um, and they are, uh, it's, they're just, they are a bunch of good guys. David is the one that actually told me about them, uh, two years ago, two years ago, because they, they passed out cold water bottles, uh, for free to people outside. And I, I liked that. So I did that. I joined them last year and then I did it again this year. Oh, okay. And, uh, it was unfortunate because I, I was wearing my, uh, Nostromo shirt. So I got a lot of people saying like, Hey, that's a great shirt. What that, what's that from? I was like, Oh, it's from this company. Last exit nowhere. And then I was like, Oh, I didn't talk about the, I didn't talk about the organization at all. But actually like the, the point is not even to talk about it. Like we, we just give people the water and then they leave. If they want to ask, great, but we're not going to go out of our way. Uh, it's just to, so that people feel, so that people have water, you know, and that's it. And so, um, and the reason that, and I don't think I, I don't think I noticed that the yellow signs weren't there until they said, they said, oh, it's like, we don't have anything to compare ourselves to now. (laughs) You know, we don't have anything to to contrast ourselves with. Um, but yeah, so that was fun. I enjoyed, uh, we passed out a thousand water bottles in like 30 minutes um, to me. So that's the thing I thought was, we thought was going to be nerdy. 
Yeah, I don't know okay. if you guys think that that's yeah, a Yeah, helping thing people sure yeah. is nerdy. Well, I don't know. I was hoping you stood at the foot of Fifth Avenue and handed out Battleship Retention postcards again, because that's I my favorite done that thing. I have that years. <laughs> favorite thing ever. I, I should, though. I, I was thinking, like, I've got this bag full of postcards. I'm standing <laughs> here, and we're done with the waters, so I might as well just do this. Um, yeah, yeah. And you should flick them as you hand you. Uh, have you ever been to, like, Las Vegas, and people hand you the things for the... No. Yeah, to, they make a loud noise by flicking the corner of the of the thing. I'm not doing that. Um, anyway, uh, so you did that. What what, what was next? After uh, you and I were in uh, this for me, uh, we were in the same line to go see Gotham. You were going to see what you went there to oh, go yeah, to right. something after Gotham. Well, I, after Gotham, yeah, I didn't have anything else that I wanted to do for a while. So I was like, I'll just go to this Gotham panel. I, I pretty much got my seat at the Gotham panel. I said it to the rest of the Gotham panel and then got my, cause you can get a bathroom pass for these major rooms. This is an indigo. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I need to be in here later for some stuff. I'm going to get my seat. I'm going to get a bathroom pass for the next panel. It's been the entire next hour at the bar, <laughs> which is what I did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Went and uh, sat at the bar, grabbed some of the convention food, which is different. So there's, the convention concessions at yeah. the convention center, which are shitty, except they have Annie Ann's pretzels, which are good. Um, but then the convention food at the Hilton is a different company, mm. and it's slightly better. It is mm. better. It had like a pulled pork sandwich and some French fries, which mm. you can't oh get in the convention center. Yeah, you can't center. get that at all. Yeah. Um, so that was good. Um, but yeah, you, you watched some of Gotham? Gotham yeah, panel? it's a good portion of it. Do you actually. watch that show? Uh, not so much anymore. Um, is it because it's bad? Because it is It's because it's bad. <laughs> uh, I, after a while, I was just... I think, and I've, I've spoken about it ad, ad nauseum on the show, but the moment they decided that, though they do have Harvey Dent on the show, that they were going to give Edward Nigma split personalities, that's when I decided they don't give a shit. Yeah, that's no, they're, they're going to do whatever they, they want to do. They certainly don't give a shit. And just, uh, and that's, and it's so frustrating because they have, that's a good cast. Everybody there is, yeah. everybody in the cast is very, very good. I would say the show is cast well. Like, they picked good people. It looks good. They, they have really great art direction, really great costuming, and there is a definite tone and mood to Gotham City in that show. So they've got, and then of course they've got just these characters. It really is in the writing and the complete ineptitude uh, that the show really breaks down. Like they've got all the elements, but they just have no idea how to write these. They don't trust their own concept. I think is the problem. Yeah, I think that's it. They're like, oh crap, we just we got to get these villains in here. Yeah, as quickly as possible. Because that's all anybody cares about. We made Batman too young. No one's going to care about yeah. this. <laughs> Instead of just making a weird show about Gotham City. But they've actually done very... I, th- I do think they have done consistently well. They've done right by Bruce Wayne and Alfred. Right. Now, they might get a, a little bit too involved in, like, you know, uh, action, considering Bruce is still very young. But they do a pretty good job, in general, with that. Um and I've, I've liked everything, that, not everything, but I've liked a lot of what they've done with the Penguin. But it just seems to me that the formula could be we're setting up villains. Like one season, it's like, okay, this is the season of the Penguin. We're, we'll set up other villains, but only, but we're not going to pay them off. And so like each season, if you're going to like you, you'll focus on one villain's like character arc or something like that. Yeah. Uh, along with Jim Gordon and all these other characters. So you, so that you're not trying to do everything at once. You're doing like three things completely and setting up three more things for the next season. Right. That's what they should have done. But instead they're trying to do everything and it's ridiculous and, and stupid. But I thought, uh, I thought like, I bet there's a lot of people on this panel and, and indeed there were, it was a, 
like the the whole cast was there and it was very interesting and and they seem like they definitely seem like they enjoy each other's company they enjoy being on the show they like playing these characters um and they like the sort of almost operatic tone that they have to strike a lot of the time uh the kid who plays uh bruce wayne um is a very articulate, intelligent, and charming uh, young boy. I think he'll probably do well as he gets uh, gets older and gets uh, uh, bigger roles. Um, but yeah, and then I think uh, they gave... And I'll say this, Ben McKenzie is uh, charming as hell. Uh, <laughs> because there came a moment when he uh, he was going to announce that like they were going to give away... Um, uh, like a visit to the set. Yeah. And, uh, and just the way he did it is like, he goes, he goes, now I think what we could probably do, like he's being like, he's being like very fake, uh, yeah. coy. Um, <laughs> and it was, and it was delightful. And he, he seems like a, a really good guy. It just, that's the thing, like looking at these people and enjoying, enjoying them. And then seeing what the show, realizing what the show could be, it just, it really frustrates me that the show is not better. Because I liked that pilot, and I liked a, f- I liked yeah. a good portion of that first season, but it has gone completely off the rails. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. Sorry, we had a little technical difficulty yeah. there. Um, so I, uh, I don't know if you stayed in Indigo at all after Gotham. Uh, I did not. Okay. I, I, I left to... You Indy went... I'm there you so go. Sorry, guys. I love it. I so love it. I I left to go to your MST3K thing, and then I think I got confused because I think there was a super long line. Was that to get into Petco Park, or was it to get to get into something else? Because there seemed to be one long line that la- that like stretched for the entire block, and I did, and I thought it was to Petco, but it might have been to something else completely. Um, I, I think it might have been to Petco. Okay. We, yeah, we had a lot so of people I, all day. So I had not uh, planned it out. I, so I guess I stupidly just assumed I could just walk in. Yeah. Um, well, in theory, you could. In theory, yes, yes. Yeah, uh, once, it, once it became too full, they stopped letting people in. Right. Makes so, which, which makes sense. And so, I, so instead, I went to... Uh, Went to lunch with a friend of the show. I guess she's not a, an official friend of the show, Kate Kulzik, because she hasn't been on the show. That's true. She's never been on the but show. we are friends of her show. Yes. Uh, and so it was nice. And uh, she's and friends of my other podcast. That's who, true, I watched yes. this with Paul and David. Uh, but yeah, so, and then I went to a couple more panels uh, later on, which I'll get to in a moment. Uh, only, other panel, only other panels I did on Saturday, uh, I went to the Son of Zorn panel. Oh, nice. That uh, show looks really funny. It does. It, it has jokes. Uh, it felt unfocused. Okay. Um, but they didn't even show us because of how animation works. They didn't actually have a, an episode to show us. They showed us the presentation pilot they made like a year ago, which mm-hmm. isn't even like a full like 22 minutes or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, there's some good stuff it, uh, in terms of gags, but uh, in terms of character and story, it seems like it needed some, some working out. But like I said, this thing's a year old. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe it's going to be great. Uh, most of the best jokes in, and then the, yeah, they did also show us, uh, some, uh, a, a couple minutes of the, uh, uh, of, uh, more or an official episode, but with unfinished animation. And in both cases, um, the best jokes come from, oh, I should say what the show's about for people who don't know. Um, Zorn is an animated, uh, He-Man type character in our real world who, uh, comes back to, uh, California to reconnect with his ex-wife played by Cheryl Hines and his son played by friend of the show, Johnny Pemberton. Um, and, uh, Cheryl Hines character is, um, engaged to, uh, a, um, 
a professor of psychology at an online university played by Tim Meadows. Uh, <laughs> he, yeah, he had some of the best stuff. Um, cause he's like at an online university. He's literally like FaceTiming his lectures. So he's like walking around the house, but giving his lectures, uh, there's some good stuff there. Um, but most of the best jokes came from the juxtaposition of Zorn being a cartoon character, but who comes from an incredibly violent, like Westeros style, like violent, violent uh, society. And so there are just um, sudden bits of <laughs> uh, cartoon gore and violence um, <laughs> that that got big laughs. Those are the best the, the best bits. Um uh, Jason Sudeikis voices Zorn, um, nice. he, but he was not on the panel. The panel was Cheryl Hines, Johnny Pemberton, and Tim Meadows. Did you say, hey, Johnny? No, We're, I did not say, hey, You're our best Johnny. friend. Uh, I know him. been on this podcast and on the, uh, which one of our commentaries was he on? Uh, Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. In which he was, in which he said that he would let Aragorn do anything he wanted to him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Johnny Six is also all over the trolleys. I don't know if you noticed. Yeah, uh, I did notice that. I walked past a couple of gigantic Johnny Pembertons. That yes. was fun. Um, but, um, and then uh, after that was the Last Man on Earth panel, which, um, much like the show, is a big improvement this year over last year's Last Man on Earth panel. Okay. Uh, I, I was not, I was lukewarm on Last Man on Earth season one, and I thought season two was terrific. Same here with the panel. Last year, it was the first panel in the morning. It was just Will Forte and January Jones, and no one was quite awake yet. Uh, this time, it was uh, near the end of the day. It was Will Forte, January Jones, Kristen Schaal, Mel Rodriguez, um, Cleopatra Coleman, and the great, uh, and January Jones. Did I say that? Uh, yeah. And the great, great Mary Steenburgen, who uh, stole the panel a lot nice. of the times. Um, because they were joking about how, uh, I don't know if, if you've watched season two, no. uh, or in the season two premiere, there's a bit where they're all singing around the campfire, except the song they're singing is informer by snow. <laughs> <laughs> and so they were talking about having to teach Mary Steenburgen the words to informer. And she remembered the chorus and did it for us all, uh, in Indigo ballroom. <laughs> That's um, funny. And, uh, yeah, she had some great, uh, some, uh, some great bits. Uh, she was great. Uh, but Will Forte also had some very funny stuff. Kristen Shaw is a panel at Comic-Con pro from, mm-hmm. uh, years of the Bob's Burgers panel of which I've been to many, even though I don't really watch Bob's Burgers. That's all. It's always a great panel. Didn't go this year. It was too tough to get in. Uh, but she's hilarious. And Will Forte was, was very, very funny. Apparently he, Knew Mel Rodriguez because they were both in The Watch, which is a movie no one remembers. I saw, no, I saw it. Yeah, and Mel Rodriguez is very funny. But he doesn't really like talk in that movie. No, he doesn't. And so Will Forte kind of like, but apparently they like had lots of downtime together and became really good friends making The Watch. Mm-hmm. And when Will Forte was writing Last Man on Earth and writing the character of Todd, he kept writing, he's like, this character should be like Mel Rodriguez. And kept thinking that before it occurred to him, like, oh, right, that guy I hung out with all the time is an actor. I should cast him. And thank God I did, because Todd is, like, maybe my favorite character on the show now. Um, and then, the, I, you know, I love, Todd, you know, I love a corny joke. Sure. And, you know, I love a recurring joke. Yes. And, um, but you hate recurring corny jokes. No, this, I I love them both because Cleopatra Coleman said something about how Will Forte never calls her back. And he said, why would I call you back? Your name is Cleopatra. And no one laughed, 
but over the course of the panel, he said it like four more times and it got funnier every time. Uh, that's the kind of thing I love. Um, so in other words, he called back. Yes. The joke. Yes. He called back the well joke. Done. Uh, and then I got uh, sushi with, uh, you and Ryan and other people and yeah. then went out to a bar. I uh, obviously did not eat sushi. I ate uh, this chicken thing and Ryan and I was asking the, wa- the the waitress like, do you have like this chicken thing? And Ryan just started laughing because it's the same conversation I have like every year. Which the, is, we go to the same sushi place same every place. Saturday. Yeah. Every and then I ask because I'm always sure they must have gotten rid of that chicken thing by now. Right. You must be the only person who orders it. <laughs> exactly. Um, what uh, what sushi restaurant is it? This is not an on air conversation. Dragon's about. Den. Okay. Yeah, I went there twice this year. Oh yeah, it is delicious. Their fries are good, and it and it's away enough that mm-hmm. it doesn't feel crowded when you go there. Yeah, I yeah. love the Dragon's Den. Yeah, I had I had ramen one night, and it was the heartiest meal I've ever eaten. Yeah. It was oh, so good. That sounds good. Yeah, uh, I did two more okay. panels. Yeah, okay. I went to the Everyone's a Critic panel, which is, uh, I mean, it's it will not be interesting to any of our listeners, but it was interesting to me as an online critic and a podcaster. And talking about uh, some of the frustrations and the toils and travails of uh, working online and and trying to speak insightfully about things when people seem to increasingly just want recaps. They don't want reviews. They want recaps. Oh, you are speaking my language, buddy. (laughs) I can't tell you how little interest I have in writing a recap. And yet that's what we do. Yeah. And it's – and I I don't want to – I won't say who it is, but I was – I, I worked with somebody uh, at his uh, website a couple years ago and uh, talking about movies. And it was and it eventually uh, he said, like, well, we're moving in a different direction. He didn't pay me or anything. But he was like, we're moving in a different direction. I was like, all right, that's fine. And it was clear that uh, he was way more interested in recaps than reviews. And my stuff was very review based. And I remember, and again, like this is a super nice guy, and we're we're on perfectly good terms. But um, but I remember just thinking, like, what is the point? Like, who gives a shit about a recap? You either saw the show or you didn't. Like, I mean, I guess you can give your opinion a little bit here and there as you go through. But I, yeah, who cares? Yeah, I don't know. It's you know, and, and I'm I, and I say that feeling feeling safe that our listeners probably are not into recaps. So I hope I hope that. Uh, if you are, I hope I haven't offended you. But at the same time, if you are, uh, leave leave a comment in the comment section as to why. If you've seen an episode of a TV show, if you've seen a movie, why would you go somewhere just to hear somebody tell you that you uh, tell you what happened, even though you were, unless you got confused about the plot or something like that. The only time that ever seems fun, the idea to me is like when Paul F. Tompkins was recapping American Idol, whenever that was four years ago, or for a uh, vulture, is for, it? Yeah, for yeah, vulture, I think. That was hysterically funny. Right. But also you don't need to watch the show to find that funny. Yes, mm-hmm. that's it's that is a comedy. That that's a commentary, one yeah. can say. I can't imagine in this day and age people go, Oh shoot, I missed Game of Thrones last night. Well, I'll just read this recap. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> I just I do not understand the 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 point of it, you know. Um and I say this is I mean, essentially worth playing for that Jen and I host about Survivor, that is ostensibly a recap show, but we're also commenting on what happened and what we talk about what people should do and all that kind of thing. So I don't know. It's very confusing. And so it was a very interesting panel and and one that was also, it was both uh, discouraging and encouraging at the same time. Uh, And then as always, I went to the spiritual themes and comics panel, which at this point, uh, uh, 
I think I, I came to realize like, oh, okay, I guess I'm in this community now. Like I'd been on panels with two of the people on the panel. Uh-huh. Somebody that was, uh, uh, that was on my Alpha Omega Con panel sat behind me. And then afterwards I went up and said, Hey man, how's it going? He goes, he goes, Hey, we got to get you on one of these. And I thought like, that'd be awesome. Um, but you don't read comics. What was that? You don't read comics anymore. It was, it, it, it very quickly pivots to comic book movies. Um, ah. and, uh, so I was just like, I guess this is, I guess I'm part of this community now c- considering I know most of the people on the panel. Uh, but next, next year, let's, let's see what we can do. All right. Uh, to get me on the spiritual, uh, themes and comics panel. Of course, that'll be the one year they're like, all right, we're talking only about comics now. Yeah. Um, well, next, next year, let's see what we can do about getting me onto the last man on earth. panel. <laughs> that, <laughs> there's going to have, okay. The next year is going to have to be very full, uh, for you, for that to be the case. But, uh, and then I went and had sushi and we hung out with, uh, Ryan and Matt Patterson and it was a lot of fun. And then I, uh, drove Scattled. my, I drove my hour and 55 minutes to get home. And then, yeah, I, uh, that's it for me. I didn't do any more panels. The rest, I went back to the floor. I had lunch with, uh, Kate, uh, and her sister on, uh, on Saturday, on Sunday, and then went back to the floor and picked up some more exclusives. Cause I mentioned the Mondo line being insane all weekend. Mm-hmm. Every, like I would stop by the floor to see like, is the Mondo line? No, not only is the Mondo line, the line for the Mondo booth, like crazy long, it was like capped. They wouldn't even let me get in line mm-hmm. if I had wanted to. But then I went someday and it was like five people. So I got my exclusives that I wanted from Mondo, which was the uh, Over the Garden Wall soundtrack on vinyl and uh, one of those uh, Inside Out parody seven-inch uh, things. I got the Black Flag one. Cool. Uh, I will say, actually, uh, I walked the floor on Thursday, and I found a really awesome Riddler poster uh, that is not one that you could like get in mass production or anything like that. One of and a it's, kind. Uh, one of a kind. And it's, uh, it's really gorgeous looking, uh, Frank Gorshin as the Riddler. Yeah. And, uh, but it was, it was $60 and I was like, that's, you know, that's a chunk of change and I'm not sure if I can justify it. So, uh, so I, I talked to the guy, I got a, I got his card I, and he wrote the booth number on the back of his card. And so then I talked to Jen about it. I said, are we, are we okay with me buying this stupid thing for, uh-huh. for $60? And she said, yeah, sure. She, because she's a, she's a very firm believer. That, like, if there's something that I can get only at Comic-Con, uh-huh. then I should go ahead and get it at Comic-Con. Yeah. Um, because someone will buy it and then put it up for sale on eBay at probably like three or four times the cost. Um, so, so I was like, all right, I got a little bit of time before the panel I need to go to. And also the floor closes at 7. So I wasn't there on Friday. So Saturday, I was like, all right, I'm going to go. And so it was uh, like 6 p.m., then I realized I had left the guy's card in the hotel room. Uh-huh. So I was like, I don't remember the number of this booth. I don't remember where it is. So I just start walking with the vaguest idea of what it looked like. Uh-huh. 6.50 find- when I finally found yeah, this it's place. It's big It's big huge. Floor, yeah. and, and I was like, and, and around like 6.30, 6.40, I'm like, am I literally not going to buy this thing because I got lost like a child and just like, <laughs> like the, it's like, there's a, it's like, I never thought there'd be a ticking clock element to comic con, uh-huh. but here we are. And then finally I got, it and I was very excited. And <laughs> I'll say this on the way, I happened to find this uh, cool little uh, square Riddler poster that I was not aware of before. So I'm like, so that actually ate up some time. Cause I'm like, well, if I can't find this other one, I might as well just get this too. And so, <laughs> so I did that. And I'm like, I just ate up five minutes. I could have looked for the one that I really wanted, but I wound up with both and everything. Everybody's happy. Did the guy remember you? 
He did not remember me. Okay. Uh, well, remember that you can find us at BattleshipRetention.com. Uh, that's where all of our movie reviews and our write-ups of the stuff we saw at Comic-Con uh, are. Um, and you can follow us. Uh, well, you can email us at David at BattleshipRetention.com or Tyler at BattleshipRetention.com. You can follow me, David, on Twitter at DaveyPretension. You can follow Tyler on Twitter at TylerPretension. Uh, your other podcast is called More Than One Lesson. That's right. What's going on this week? This week, Quickly. Uh, I, I recorded a mini-sode about my uh, my analysis of the new Ghostbusters movie, because there's a lot going on in that movie. Not a lot of laughs, but there's a lot of uh, fun symbolism going oh, on. I thought it was more funny than not. Hmm. We'll, well talk. Uh, we'll talk. Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, my other podcast is called Hey, Watch This. It's, it's about TV this week. Uh, Paul is taking the week off and the aforementioned Kate Kolzik and I will do a, our another Comic-Con wrap up. So you get to hear um, some more of the TV stuff I saw and uh, all the TV stuff that that Kate saw. Um, Kyle, where can people find you and your work on the internet? Um, you can find me on Twitter at functional nerd. You can find everything that I write at uh, uh, nerdist.com forward slash author forward slash Kyle hyphen Anderson, which you won't do. So just go to nurse.com. Um, I just, uh, I just wrote my 150th schlock and R review, which is the, the kind of weird, silly nice. thing. And that's a weekly, um, column that I do about weird old movies. Uh, it stopped being about bad movies about, around a hundred yeah. because it's, it's not fun to watch that many bad movies. <laughs> so now I would just watch weird, good movies and write about them. The most recent one I wrote about this week, uh, number one fifty one, is about Cabra Verde, the, uh, the Herzog Kinski film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, I review my most recent regular movie review is, uh, Jason Bourne, which you should read and then not go see the movie. Cause That's it's what I hear. That's a bummer. Soup's boring. Really? Yeah. Fascinating. They, uh, the aforementioned, uh, Edward Snowden gets name checked twice. Once in the trailer, I got that. In the same uh, sentences as, uh, we need to find a back door (laughs) for hacking purposes. Anyway. Oh, not a literal back door. No, no, no. Um, uh, but yeah, and then you can find, uh, uh, one of the, one of the podcasts that I do is, uh, the classic horror cast once a month, uh, uh, on this very good network. And, uh, um, this month, once I upload it, which I keep forgetting to do is about scream. Okay. Classic. Yeah. Hence the name. Uh, thanks for being here. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, you guys. This was fun. Yeah. Look forward to next year's Comic-Con. Thank you at home for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.